Hello and welcome to episode 185 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And we're calling this episode directly to you because, as you can guess, this episode we're covering everything from the latest Nintendo Direct. The big reveals, the noteworthy trends we picked up on, whatever it is they're doing with Switch Online. Like, we've got all that. Also, towards the end of the show, we're having impressions of a trio of Nindy Games, Lifeless Planet, Salt and Sanctuary, and iZombie. Not the CW show. It's a video game. Uh, so that's all towards the end of the show. It's a, uh, it's a lot of stuff. So there are timestamps at ramtown.com if on the blog post for this episode, or if you're on our YouTube, you can just look below the video and we have the timestamps there. Speaking of our YouTube, actually, some people may not know if they don't follow us on Twitter or subscribe to our YouTube, but last week you and I went live on YouTube. We did our first ever live stream. We have the technology. We have the technology now. I mean, calling it a live stream is an overstatement. We it was really, a stream that was live. We, every... we, we were just like testing out some equipment that we had and we're still trying to figure out what we really want to do with it. But we did spend a solid 4 minutes and 35 seconds or so playing Mario Kart 8 live on a stream, that which fits the definition. Um, and we, it's funny because at the time we're like, yeah, let's talk about like Mario Kart DLC, like Dream DLC, because we figured they're bound to announce no, DLC. No, no, I'm, I'm reassuring the people that they didn't miss a grand spectacle. No, no like that's a 30-minute, like... No, it's four and a half minutes. Like a variety show of sorts. It's four and a half minutes of quality Guess guessing stars. about DLC <laughs> that never actually happened. Because I could have sworn, like my gut feeling was there was going to be Mario Kart DLC in this direct, and there wasn't. So we're just speculating about this DLC that may or may not ever come, I guess. But yeah, it's like a four minute long thing. If you want to see what we look like when we talk. Like, you know what we look like by our faces probably, but if you want to see what we look like animated, you, there's a little corner where you can see it. So yeah, it's at randomnintendo.com or sorry, not randomnintendo, youtube.com slash randomnintendo.com. That's the channel name, so check that out. Yeah, for someone that's um, pursuing a career in animation, I'm very much not what I'm talking, so just a heads up. Yeah, that is kind of weird, actually. You're like the opposite of an animated person, but you love animation. Maybe that's why you love it so much, because you can't do it. Your, you don't do it yourself, so you need to have another avenue to animate through. Yes. Yes. Well, anyway, before we get into the specifics of the Direct, um, let's talk about the showing itself. It uh, There's a lot of stuff announced. Like, a lot. It's something like 19 different games that were given reveals of some sort. That and is true. Not, yeah, it is true. And it's not even including the trailers for games you already knew. That's 19, like, new things, if you will. And granted, it may not have felt like 19 new things because there's that week-long delay. That the, for those who don't know, I don't know how you don't know, the director was supposed to be out on Thursday the 6th. Uh, then there's the bad earthquake in Japan, so they delayed it to the 13th. And in the middle there, a bunch of third parties had their stuff go live anyway, whether intentional or not. So, you know, like we learned about Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remastered, which was supposed to be a surprise, but then Square Enix announced anyway. We learned about Civilization VI, which um, 2K just accidentally uploaded to their website anyway. So that kind of took a little of the oomph out of it, but it wouldn't, like, if you think about it, women kind of nuts if we had all those surprise reveals all back to back to back to back, especially since some were so un- unexpected. I, I mean, I was three minutes late to watching the direct at work. Yeah, so I'm watching it work. And then when I, you know, I come back, I glance at Twitter, and there's, like, back-to-back announcements of Luigi Mansion 3 and Kirby's Extra Epic Yarn. And, like, if I just saw those lists in a tweet without knowing there's a direct going on, that sounds absolutely like a fake fan-made list. Like, oh, yeah, they're going to make a new Kirby, but they'll call it Extra. And they'll have Luigi, like, he'll be back for a third time, even though the one's about to come out. Like, it just sounds too not real. But there they were. And then, you know, on top of that, they had, like, Final Fantasy VII in there randomly. Like, it was it was kind of a nuts direct. But how do you feel about it coming out of it, Mr. All You Care About is Smash? Um, I mean, me personally, since all I care about is Smash, I yeah. cannot go in like, <laughs> all right, it's, there's a lot of stuff coming to Switch, but nothing that I'm particularly very excited for. Mm-hmm. Especially because, um, like, yeah, it was good to see more 
footage of Yoshi's Crafted World. I mean, I love Yoshi's Epic Yarn. Mm-hmm. Well, you watch the Woolly World. My bad. Same game, basically. Epic Yarn's Kirby, but yeah, yes, same game. Yeah, I love the first one, so definitely looking forward to playing that with Elvis. But other than that, um, yeah, it was just just a bunch of like here's some games. You're like those are video games. Yes. Yeah, it was <laughs> kind of very, even the Smash information. Like I, I, I felt like I, like a lot of people. We all felt like Isabel was gonna be. Like a given in Smash Brothers in one way or form, whether it be an yeah, Echo she or wasn't a Sis trophy before. So and um and when she got announced, it's like okay, like I'm not planning to play as Isabel. It's cool that she's in, but I was just hoping for another reveal trailer. Right. I mean, I'm gonna have to watch the reveal trailer for Isabel one way or another. Yeah. They're gonna do one for every. So character. you wish she was stacked with a different character versus. Yeah, character. I just hope there was at least like one other character to kind of balance out. Kind of like um when they revealed Simon. I don't really care too much about Castlevania, so. That announcement was kind of just like, yep, that's Simon. Yeah. But then when they paired up with King K. Rool, it made me forget that Simon was even announced. Right. But You're this so w- selfish. Really care about oh, the yeah. characters you care I about. Am. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to worry about what I'm well, interested course, in. Well, of course, I know. Other people. But, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, so then I'm like, all right, cool. Maybe after Isabel's thing. The, the most surprising thing for me was that she was not an Echo Fighter. Yes. And then she was like a full character. And I'm like, all right, that's interesting. But, oh, God, I hope she's not annoying to play against. Yeah, and then after her announcement, like, all right, maybe they're gonna squeeze in like some surprise of the character, and then they're just like, oh, Animal Crossing's coming out, and I'm like, oh, that's not exciting. But hey, well, I love. Don't get me wrong, I love Animal Crossing, but that felt like that game is like just it was just a formality at that yeah, point. I feel like was, everyone that everyone knows that game is coming. It's too popular yeah. not to come. But, but let's fo- let's focus on his so, Smash yeah. real quick. Let's, oh yeah, let's because there's so much direct to get through. Let's actually kind of organize ourselves here. So let's start with his Bone Smash because you already talked about his Bone Smash. So yeah, it um, it does seem like that was kind of a shoe in of an announcement. I, I will say, like, I to your point about Isabel being an Echo Fighter, I do like that she's not one, or how you're saying how she was one. I do like that she. I thought honestly, if they were gonna do Isabel, it was gonna be Villager, but with a reskin. But she has a totally different set of moves. She's way more like, I I hate to use this internet. Ism, but she's very pure. Like she has little pom poms because you tune people on. Her up B is great. I think it's her up B is great because she's like she's just on a little swing with balloons. That she still basically has all the same moves of villagers. They're just they're, skin they're, very they're, they're just shuffled around. Yeah. Well, no, the fishing hook is kind of new. Yeah, that's like the only that real like different one. Like I don't know, is that a grab? Is that a side B? But she literally like that's the only non-pure it's, thing it's, about it's, her. It's, she it's literally just the, hooks someone's mouth. Is this the kid-friendly version of Scorpions? Come over here. Yeah, but Smash doesn't have that currently. Really, I know exactly. Yeah. So that's so, like so the kid-friendly version of it. But I will say the balloon chair. I don't know what this through line is in this direct, but there were two. What are the odds of this? Two balloon chairs in the direct. There was Isabel floating around, looking happy, and then in Pokemon Let's Go, Pikachu's fly special technique, which us core fans know as an HM, is also him hopping in a balloon chair with his trainer, taking off into the sky. Like, what is it with balloon chairs? <laughs> I never thought we'd get two at once. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it is more interesting. Yeah. But she definitely feels like a kind of like a Lucas to. Animal Crossing, also villagers. Oh, she totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they both like throw a pot down. They both have a down smash that goes both ways. Instead of a Lloyd Rocket going horizontal, hers goes vertical. Right. I mean, yeah. right. Yeah, it's just straight up. But I don't yeah. know. I mean, so I mean, you're people, hoping for a different character. But people are happy. I you're, mean, yeah. No. Yeah, a lot of people are happy. But you, you were hoping for a different character, you said. Who? <laughs> like, in your dream, like, who are you thinking? Shadow? Anyone else? anyone but i mean like is there any bucket list you because i know at one point you mm, were talking shadow some, um i mean shadow's on my personal bucket list he just feels like a given that's what i mean personal oh um, probably just any kind of rhythm heaven representation you know i have this weird theory and you're gonna hate me for saying this i have this weird theory that now that uh, mario and rabbids 
has sold over two million copies and is a big hit that they're gonna take out the the choir boys as was rumored that would be there and instead it's gonna be a trio of rabbits like i'm not like they're gonna retrofit it i have this back of my mind just this weird feeling because nintendo's going all in on the third party stuff i mean there was a quote from bethesda's vp the other day a guy named paul hines who they're like so have you talked to nintendo about smash and he's like oh yeah yeah like of course we have which i don't know if that necessarily means we're gonna get like pit boy or doom guy or sir skyrim only one of those three is not a real thing guess which one um but i yeah i think we're probably gonna see more third party representation than i bet you i bet you the choir boys are out and i bet you the rabbits are in which is well, wouldn't be the first time the yeah. rabbits got into a fighting game I didn't want them to be in. Like Ninja Turtles? Yeah. See, Rayman would make more sense, but they just announced Rayman for Brawlhalla the other day. Well, I mean, so I don't think he's going to be in Brawlhalla I mean, at this and point, Ra- Smash Bros. I mean, at this point, Rabbids makes more sense for a Nintendo game. I mean, yeah. after especially after Mars, Mario and Rabbids. Yeah, so. I mean, Amazon UK, they're saying, they put up a listing and they say there are 71 fighters in total in Smash Bros. So we have three more, possibly, if that number's right. It yeah. depends on how you count 71. Do they mean Echo? Do they mean non-Echo? But we have at least three more mm. mainline ones. So Yeah, it's weird because on the website, they're saying there's 68 characters or 69. They don't count Echoes. Like, they just repeat right, the same Right, so they number. say 68 currently? I think there are 68 or 69. Which means that the 71 would probably be from that same count, which means we have three legit ones to go, I guess you could say. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe, yeah. Hmm. We'll see. Hmm. But, you know, actually, while we're talking about Smash, before we go into the other announcements like Animal Crossing and stuff, we're on the topic. How about we talk about that bun- those hardware bundles, the Switch hardware bundles? Because during the Direct, we got a first look at the Smash Bros. bundle. And available on the- now? Avail- well, no. <laughs> available for pre-order, yes. Well, yeah. I thought you meant, like, available, like, you could go buy it. Um, but on the one hand... Obviously, Jason, come on. I know, what's wrong with me? On, on the one hand, the-, the dock is pretty awesome in that bundle. You've got the customs like a gray on darker gray decal looking thing. It's the original Smash 64 roster, but in their ultimate artwork, it's all very nicely laid out. And then, then you got the other parts of the bundle, which are not as great. I mean, first, there's the special Smash Bros. Joy-Con, which is really just a regular gray Joy-Con. One with a vertical lighter gray line, one with a horizontal lighter gray line. And they look fine docked in the system, but man, that's like the lamest... Yeah, if you separate them, like the left Joy-Con... Oh no, the right Joy-Con just looks... It just has a white line on it. Yeah. Like one line. At least the other one, like someone could be like, oh, is that supposed to be Smash Brothers? Yeah, because there's the, the bit of the intersection like, of the I, cross. I, yeah. I would suggest that at the very least, they should have just like made the Joy-Cons pure white. They don't have pure white Joy-Cons. That would go with the fact that they just added white to the Pro Controller. Yeah. And a lot of the marketing just has that like all white background with the two black lines. Just, that would have been slick. And then they would have stood out on their own. Because right now, it's literally just yeah, normal exactly. Joy-Cons with the crisscross. Yeah, we don't have pure white Joy-Cons. That would have been pretty nice. Yeah. But but then then the other thing about the bundle, to your point about pre-order, so the thing comes out November 2nd. That is a full 35 days before Smash Bros. Ultimate is released. And it comes with a download code in the box for Smash Bros. You just can't use the download code for 35 Makes days. Sense. So it's like pre-purchased. Yeah, and th- like that in and of itself isn't the end of the world. I mean, obviously, releasing it ahead of time, people will pick it up going into holiday shopping for Black Friday, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. And I'm sure a lot of those bundles won't even be open until Christmas. They're going to be under the tree or whatever after Smash is out. So that's fine. But there's absolutely yeah, so going to be... all those kids that have to wait for right? Christmas. I, guess. I know. Oh, man. That's, but, a lot but of, that's, a, that's a couple weeks. It's a whole, like, two and a half. Yeah, that's... I don't know. Like, I am... As someone that's about Hanukkah, I appreciate that it shifts around every year. So sometimes maybe the wait's longer when I was younger, but sometimes it's, like, the next day. Actually, what I really appreciate is my parents just bought me the game on release day. It's like, it's an early gift. 
that's the way to do it, folks. But no, the thing I was going to say is there's absolutely a subset of people who are going to buy this bundle on November 2nd, and they're going to think they have a game, and they do not have a game, and they're going to be like, where's my game? Because Nintendo has never done a bundle that comes with a game that isn't actually <laughs> with the bundle. You know what I mean? Like, they've never been like, here's a bundle, but you the won't get the thing that's on the box. Just play some other stuff. Like, what if your parent, you're like, I'm going to my, I'm gonna give it to little Timmy. Little Timmy, classic Ram Nintendo character of ours. Uh, little Timmy, maybe he gets it as an early gift because his mom's super psyched. And he's like, sweet, but she doesn't buy him any other game. Because she's like, he wants Smash Bros. And he wants a Switch. And then he gets his switch. He's like, I have no games to play because there is no Smash Bros. Well, she'll just be like, well, let's suck it up, little Timmy. In a little over a month, this will be a non-issue. That's true. But I'm just thinking like casual parents or oh, yeah. folks. It's going to be messy. And it does say on the box, you know, game not available to release. But it says it in red and small font on the bottom right corner. It's not like it's smacked across the center. So people are going to overlook that. So I don't know. I, can't, I, like, I literally can't think of another time a hardware bundles come out without the game, even though it's with the game. But not with the game. I don't know. It's 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 not a huge deal. It's just kind of peculiar. Um, equally peculiar, actually. Pokemon Let's Go is getting a Switch bundle as well. And to this one's credit, it at least does things in the right order. Like you get the game and the controller and the system and the Pokeball Plus all at once. And you can use them all together at the same time. You don't have to sit and wait for one to activate. So that's nice. But uh, yeah, you get all that for 400 bucks, $10 less than if you were to buy each individual component. There will be two bundles, one for Eevee, one for Pikachu. Um, the hardware, however, is the same. So what you get is a Switch with a kind of... I guess you call it like the belly colors of Pikachu and Eevee. Like one is kind of Eevee's fur, one is kind of Pikachu's fur. To me, they feel like Nesquik colors. Like they the are color, very Nesquik. Like, Did you know Nesquik's renaming back to Quick? Yeah. I Why? I don't know. First of all, the name change in the first place was dumb. It's Nestle Quick. It's implied it's Nestle. You don't need to put Ness in front as if that's somehow going to tell people, oh, the chocolate people, because it's already there. And then they did that for a decade, and now they're like, actually, never mind, and they're going back. Like, I... I I have a pet peeve about Nesquik, apparently. But apparently, sorry, yeah. you're saying. Yeah, but if you had a like, I guess the Switch console that didn't have the Pikachu and Eevee silhouettes on the back, yeah, that's would, the other it, part. It, it would look like you just have like a Nesquik edition of the Switch, which is funny because in Japan you can get just a Nesquik edition because they're selling the Joy Con separately over there, and the Joy Cons actually. I like are... Japan just like does it right. You could get the Joy Con separately. You could just buy the game case with a download code. Yes, I would do that. I like having the cases. I don't care about the cartridges. Yeah, um, as you should. Right, that but, was a nightmare at E3. Yes, I know. And I was like, oh, yeah, let me play Mario Kart. And then 20 minutes later, I'm like, okay, I picked up all my cartridges that fell on the floor. Let's play. Oh, wait, I need an update. Oh, wait. Oh, Barman doesn't have its update. But, um, yeah, so the, the Joy-Cons themselves are kind of cool. And the wrist strap that attaches to them, that little piece, is actually the opposite color of the other Pokemon. Or not the opposite color, the accent color of each Pokemon. So that's kind of neat. Which makes sense. There's some brown on Pikachu's tail. so I just Exactly. And on, on his back stripes, those three back yeah. stripes. Yeah, so it's a cool... Those look cool, but then, as you were saying about the decon, the system, I, I'm not as sold on that. So, I mean, do you do you want to describe how these systems... Oh, I meant the, the silhouette on the back of the Switch. That's what I'm talking about, the decon, the system, not the dock, the oh. system. So it's like glossy yeah, stickers weird. of silhouettes. I mean, kind we of. saw a picture with bad lighting, but it just looks sticky. It just looked really weird. And it looked, yeah, it looked really cheap. And then the, the if dock... If it was matte, I guess it'd be nice, but... I, it well, just, the system's matte, so I don't even know how that would work. Oh, I guess it could. Dual-layered? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Actually, yeah, just make it a different, slightly different shade, but for whatever reason, 
it just looks like all those little Pikachus and Eevees are going to be like fingerprint magnets. Oh, fingerprint totally. magnets. And then the dock yeah. itself has a giant picture of Eevee and Pikachu on either side, corresponding with their Joy-Con, yeah, which if, is like, oh, that's... If they were both great, I feel like it would look a lot nicer. Yeah, but they look like they're just slapped on decals. Like something like, you know, when someone's like, oh, I'm going to customize my Switch, and they just put like a sticker from a sticker book. It's like Nintendo bought a bunch of sticker books of just those two stickers and stuck them on. So I don't know. Like, I think... I, I get why Nintendo's doing these... Like the dock decals and the back decal, it, you know, it makes it that much more special. It reminds me a lot of the mm, Pikachu Game Boy Color. I mean, even, Mon- even Monster Hunter gone in on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, in Japan, but yeah. Yeah, and like, yeah, it's easier and it does make it pop. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, when I was a kid, I almost bought the Pikachu Game Boy Color, except it was sold out. So I probably, if I was the right age group, this would be for sure my jam. Like, I would want this specific Switch. Huh, but I'm honestly, surprised you don't have it. The Pikachu Game Boy Color? Yeah. It was sold out. I, I just mean, literally. just didn't make it happen. Will it into being Walmart? Summon me a Pikachu Game Boy, and then they just like march out with like twelve of them. I mean, I guess I just pictured like younger Jason, like you know, like camp out early, reserve, just be like really... camp out early, dude. I was like eight. I didn't know how well, camping out for just like, worked. I, I just pictured you like to be really on top of that kind of stuff. Not at that age. Oh, okay. It's more like, hey, mom, can I get a Game Boy Color? Sure, we'll go this one time, and then we go in the day and oh, have okay. it. And I'm like, ah, anyway, it wasn't even launch. It was like after, which is why I didn't get it probably. Oh. It was a cool Game Boy. Makes so, sense. like, that logic, I get why they're doing this, but, like, oh, it'd be so much cleaner if it was just, like you said, matte stickers or just the Joy-Cons by themselves. Like, Nintendo's designs have been, at least to me, so slick lately that this just feels like a weird... It's just jarring, almost. I mean, maybe this is because it's two late 20s adults talking about a like, system designed for children. But <laughs> it's just... I don't know. It, they're going to make a killing this holiday. That's for sure on these, but I just it just doesn't. This specific one doesn't ring true. But between Smash, between Pokemon, these things are gonna sell. And and I'm not even factoring the marketing push that's going with them. I mean, Smash. Besides just, you know, taking Smash Bros. to every video game related related event under the sun the past few months, Nintendo's also now starting to do more public facing demo sessions for Smash. And all month long, select Best Buys. I think by select I mean like eight total around the country. Um, they're hosting these demo weekends. The there's one actually in LA this weekend right by my house. I'm gonna check it out tomorrow, which means by the time you guys hear this episode, I probably would have checked it out past tense. But um, yeah, the line for it. I was looking online. The line today around the building, full circle around the building, hour long, hours upon hours of waiting. I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm probably gonna go scope it out. But um, Funny but yeah, like that was the most practical one, right? Yeah, Comic Con we waited 25 minutes less. Yeah. Well, to play Smash itself, I only waited like five minutes. Oh. That's it? For Comic-Con, yeah, or less. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I maybe weighed 10 in the show floor. But yeah, Comic-Con is the most practical. But they have this game literally everywhere. So no matter how you want to try it or if you've heard anything about it, you can go try it. Because in addition to Best Buy, they also are bringing this game to college tailgate parties. Like big college games, like the biggest college of games. Of course. Yeah, so Wendy's, Wendy's has a tailgate tour, football tailgate tour, and it's some of the biggest games of the year. And Nintendo's bringing a custom trailer for Smash Bros where people can just go and you know play play some Smash before the game start and this will be going up through January so it's it's you know even after launch they're gonna be doing it and it, it makes sense I mean the Smash demographic and the like college is a huge part of the Smash demographic I mean we think about how much we played Smash in college and how much everyone we knew was into Smash in college like that's only I assume still true as the Switch has gotten more popular or made it more popular every single student it was yeah the entire school it was 18,000 people that were into that now it was it was like 
the majority seventeen thousand nine hundred and fifty or something. At like least, that. I mean, you might be lowballing it. I would say, I would say seventeen nine sixty minimum. But no, it was a very, very. It's probably the most popular multiplayer game in college. So for Nintendo to now go to college and be like, here's that, but better. I think that's very, very savvy of them. And for those who are in college and listening, we'll link to the blog post that Nintendo put up that lists yeah, all the games. It's definitely stuff. the most popular sober Nintendo game. Other than that, yes. it was just Mario Kart and Mario Party definitely gave it a run for its money. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Mario Kart's pretty big too, but Smash was the competitive angle yeah. that got people to really mm-hmm. like. Yeah. But anyway, let's get back to games. There's a, My point is there's a lot of marketing with Smash going on. There's a lot of bundles coming Guitar out. Guitar Hero is still popular in college. Or if it just... What is Guitar Hero or Rock No, Band. no, Guitar Hero and Rock Band have totally died. That's why you don't see them in stores. I mean, Guitar Hero Live essentially bombed. <laughs> like, remember that game where it's like, oh, real footage, and then it disappeared four months yeah. later? Yeah. We tried it at the same Best Buy that Smash is at. I completely forgot that was a thing. Exactly. So did most of America. Oh, I even have a shirt from it. Well, you too. Me too. And sunglasses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it it was cool. Like, it felt like a little more realistic, but it just no one cared anymore. It's like the Toys to Life thing. It was just dead on arrival, which is why I fear a lot of new Toys to Life games, Starlink, it's going to happen, but we'll see. Um, kind, but, of, kind of a shame because that's like the nicest looking Star Fox game I've seen in a while. Yes, yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to third party. But yeah, um, Starlink. If it was Star Fox is saving Starlink, honestly, like you know, I'll just say it now. They Star, just Fox call it Star, is, Fox. Star Fox is. I mean, it, the funny thing is, like, they should just call it Star Fox. But they showed in the direct that it has actual like Star Fox content looking stuff. Like, there's space levels. You're flying. There's enemies from Star Fox 64 in there. Wolf has a big role. There's like a whole story built around it. And I, I have to say, as a Star Fox fan, it's very exciting. You could play the whole campaign as Fox. You could play the whole campaign as Fox, and all the narratives are, or all the cutscenes in Simax narrative are built around him being in it, and all the other Star Fox crew are there to have dialogue. Like it really looks and feels like Star Fox. But what I find funny is, um, well, not very funny. It's also, it's almost like I feel bad because it is very exciting as a Star Fox fan. But for Ubisoft, for the developers, like I don't think Nintendo meant it this way. But every time they reference Fox in the game in the direct outside the direct it has like this weird double meaning sound to it i mean in the direct they had some line like fox saying let's be honest you need all the help you can get and i'm like oh star like i'm so sorry and then noe nintendo of europe tweeted literally i think the same day something along the lines of like fox providing some quote much needed backup and i'm like stop i know what you're you're saying plot wise but it sounds like you're saying this game's gonna bomb we're gonna throw star fox at and he'll save it <laughs> which frankly is probably what's gonna happen but yeah, I mean... Yeah, because Star Fox Zero did wonders, did it? Mm, it did okay. didn't do wonders, but it didn't bomb. And if it did bomb, it's because of bad reviews. I mean, Star Fox as a brand is pretty big. Mm. Yeah, I see that smirk there. Like, yeah, Star <laughs> Fox Zero, remember that crap again? I like Zero. I'll admit the controls are wonky and weird, but I liked Zero. It, it was kind of cool. The, the weird dual perspective okay. thing kind of felt like more authentic in a backwards way. Because <laughs> you have... You know, like if you're actually flying a ship, you have to look down at what's going on on your yeah, ship. You I mean, we, we all, we all have that, that game we like. I mean, like Sonic R. Mm-hmm. But I agree. Mm-hmm. It's not ideal. But yeah, let, what's, now that we're actually talking about games, let's let's backpedal for a bit because we kind of glossed over it. Half of the Smash Bros. announcement was, wasn't actually a Smash Bros. announcement in a direct. It was an Animal Crossing announcement, which, like, Nintendo's very good at these things. They I've said this before about the direct, but they are very good at... Like the whole mixing a short term announcement with a long term announcement with a longer term tease and just kind of blending it all together. And it just keeps the hype going. Like people are excited about short term things, long term things. And I, yeah, the, the one that really I think is the best example of this and kind of a masterclass in trolling is, of course, the Animal Crossing Smash Bros. double whammy of the reveal. I mean, 
that was just like Nintendo just nailed that. They to start with what looks like an Animal Crossing Switch reveal, and then to zig and have it be Isabel as a Smash character, only to then zag and have it also be what amounts to whether well, typical. Hey, look, here's a logo teasers. Yeah, that was very well done. I mean, say what you will about it was a given we're gonna get Animal Crossing, but to have them confirm it in that kind of like roller coaster way was quite amusing. I feel like it's one of the better ones of those, you know. And I think we're saying I'm saying it's like logo only, but I I think we actually might have seen footage in there. There might have been Animal Crossing footage. I mean, in the past, when to does teasers like this, like the name only thing. It's always just a logo. It's usually involving a number appearing in space and then the word next to it, like four Metroid Prime, three Bayonetta. Um, but for Animal Crossing, it they you know they did that whole dialogue scene, and they didn't say anything about the game. But what I noticed is if you watch the Tom Nook segment at the end, it has a disclaimer along the bottom about how it's not actual gameplay footage. Which duh, it looked really good. There's no way that was real because it's Animal Crossing. <laughs> but then you go back and look at Isabel's scene, which is in some sort of engine. Not Smash Bros, and there's no such disclaimer. It still says it. Yeah, right in the beginning. No, I looked. It doesn't. Are you sure? Um, I could check right now. I'm, I'm like... No. I'm paused. Let's check. Oh, oh, let's oh. pause the podcast. Let's everyone free... Well, don't actually pause it. I'm saying let's just pause I'm like it. 99% nah, sure only dude. because you brought that up right now. No. Well, yeah, but I checked beforehand specifically because I knew I was bringing this up right now. Um, but yeah, no. The, the thing was, it the whole Isabel segment, as far as I could tell, did not... It was in some engine. It could have been in the engine of Animal Crossing Pocket Camp, conceivably. I mean, it looks about the same. Oh, no, you might be right. I just landed on it. I think it says it. I'm pretty sure I'm I right. think I think you're right. I think I just found it, which is weird because it's not actually at the beginning of the footage, which is where I looked. It looks like it's right as it cuts to Smash. Oh, well. Which makes me wonder, or in that case, if it's when she – hold on. I'm jumping ahead. Da, da, da. Oh yeah, it's, 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 right when she, it's right when she starts talking. Ah, Nintendo, you faked me out. Well, yeah. there goes that theory. Yep. Because I, well, thank you for correcting that for me. I fooled myself. Um, but yeah, I was kind of thinking, if that's the case, what's that mean for Animal Crossing? Is it gonna look more of the same, or are they actually gonna shake things up? Which brings up a broader point, regardless of if it was real footage or not. Which is, how different are they gonna have to make the Animal Crossing to get people? I mean, obviously, a lot of people are gonna buy it, but. Like you, for example, like oh yeah, it's Animal Crossing, whatever. Like, do what can they do? How can they do it to make Animal Crossing like that much more on Switch than just New Leaf in HD? I don't know. Yeah, it, it's tricky because like New Leaf made small steps. Cause, yeah, because New Leaf. Well, I mean, it made you the mayor. It gave you way more control city of the city overall. Yeah, but it ultimately looked and felt the same. Yeah. So like, I don't it, know. I guess just. I mean, the parts that make Animal Crossing really fun is just the the communication with friends or just being able to play with them. So just make that even easier and better. Because <laughs> Given Switch Online, good luck. I know, right? We'll get to that later. Because, I mean, Nintendo had... New Leaf had this whole, like, dream mechanic where you could visit someone's town even if they're not there through, like, a dream with their friend code or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you could also visit their town if they invite you. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. I, I don't know what they can do to it, but I feel like... I don't know. I guess a more cooperative thing would make it more interesting. I mean, yeah, the fact that it's on Switch. Maybe there's a thing of, like, a joint town that, like... Because if there's... Actually, was this game confirmed or deconfirmed? Or is it, like, rumored if it's going to support cloud saving? No clue. Because... Considering we don't even know anything about it. Because what I'm thinking (laughs) is, like, let's say, like, I start a town with, like, you, for example. Yeah. Like, every time you 
boot up the game, it's like an on. This might be terrible, but if it's like a, whenever you're home connected to the internet, I guess. But I then you have the disparity once you're not. Connected I know. To the yeah, yeah. So, so Animal Crossing does thrive as a portable game. If if it's co-op, which I imagine... So here's my thing. I think it has to be co-op. Switch is all about local multiplayer. I know, and, every and they've game, never done co-op before. And every game has been, like, shoved in with co-op in some way. Right. On the Switch, and, like, so. even if you look at just how Nintendo evolves their games, like Mario and Zelda, for example, they go in 20 different directions at once. But a lot of games that have a specific formula, like Mario Kart, Smash, Animal Crossing, they're more, like, iterative things that they keep offering the same core experience, but they kind of branch it out in different directions by introducing new mechanics or modes, like, you know, the different... The changes to drifting over the years of Mario Kart, the layers of new options in Smash, like that's kind of the approach I think they're going to do with Animal Crossing versus a revamp like Skyward Sword to Breath of the Wild or something. But I imagine part of that will have to be co-op because, yeah, it's on Switch. So with that in mind, the thing I was thinking is maybe it's as simple as you can finally have two villagers playing simultaneously in the same town. No, that's definitely going to be it. Yeah. And like, be, you know, they're going to show the person splitting the Joy-Con. And like, yeah. Here you go. You're and sitting then, next to me. Exactly. And then and you then can you're... together pluck yeah. weeds and exactly, fish yeah. and, and go talk to different people. And they Now, I don't know if they're going to do a split screen or if they're going to do like a Smash Bros. zoom out thing and, until it maxes out a certain distance or what. It could be split screen. It'd probably have to be split yeah. screen. But it's probably going to be something like that. And if not even that, the, at the bare minimum, it's going to be a mini game island. You're going to go, it's going to be like, everyone catch the most bugs in 20 seconds on Gulliver's Island or something, which well, they kind of dabbled in before. Well, no, I mean, Tortimer's Island was a minigame island. Right, so it's going to be, I'm saying it's going to be at least that. For multiplayer. Yeah. Now, what I want, what I think would be really cool, it's a bit ridiculous, but it could be cool if it works, and this would kind of be the idea of, like, how, you know, they can iterate on a core idea, but keep the core idea and still do something new and different, is, bear with me here, like, you know the turnip market? And how that kind of exists and there's fluctuating prices. Yeah, with the boar lady? Yeah. What if they, Joan, what if they run with that? The game's online. It's got to be online, right? It has to be. As you are pointing out, they have stuff like you could visit dream houses and New Leafs. So what if they really, like, what if your friends influence your game? Like, almost like in a Dark Souls kind of way. Like, what if, and hear me out, they make a stock market of sorts for Animal Crossing. So, like, you go to a central bank or something, you sell your items there, and depending on what you Kids sell, love this. <laughs> what if it actually, well, hold, if you hear it at the simplest level, maybe. And I realize there's a lot of scenarios to work out with this idea, and it probably won't work on many levels, but just hear me out. You go to a central bank, you sell your fruit, your items, whatever it is, and then that, depending on what you sell, can actually drive up or down the cost of other things in your friend's towns. Not the whole game, that'd be nuts, but among friends. Like, for example, let's say you have oranges in your town and I have cherries in my town. You could, in theory, go flood the market with oranges and take them to the central bank, and maybe it doesn't hurt me. Maybe instead what it does is it actually makes orange-themed items more affordable in my town for a few days or something like that. Or maybe it makes my price of my local fruit, cherries, go up for a couple of days and all my foreign fruits like oranges go down because they're overstuffed in the market right now and it's kind of, or overstocked. And it's kind of like this yin and yang of figuring out like ways sure, to help it, and hurt people. Did Pocket small... introduce a market box or something like that? It did on some level but that was just like i need this item can you provide it to me yes or no so this is kind of mm-hmm. that but then like a whole economic slant to it at least that's what my understanding of the market boxes so i think i think something like this could be cool because it's not because like, then it's like an asynchronous multiplayer thing and you can actually help your friends indirectly if you know they're trying to get a certain item you can maybe skew things in their favor or hurt them of course for that to work it's very much like a monopoly sort of or fortune street if you remember that on on wii it's kind of that sort of same mentality. Of course, you need to be able to communicate with people so you can sort of plan these things a little better. So hopefully by then they have some sort of in-app messaging available on Switch or on the smartphone app or whatever. But 
I think on surface level, this could be really cool and actually sort of... It's still the same game, but now there's this whole other component of how can you influence your friends as well as your own town, which is something they have never really thought about before in a direct way. So that's my crazy idea. I don't know if it's enough to make it stand out from other Animal Crossing, but I think it'd be a cool extra layer to sort of slot it. would be a cool extra layer, but I feel like it's definitely not enough. No, I don't think it'd be the only thing. They'd have to co-op this and a couple other things all combined might make it worthwhile. I guess from mayor, I guess you go to councilman or... Uh, president? I don't know. Okay, let's go one step further. You all have to vote together on what happens in your contingent of towns and you're forming a state. Yeah. Wait a minute. I'm That's actually not a bad idea. Wreck. Hold on. That's not a bad idea. You can form countries with uh, your friends. You control multiple towns. And you can towns, set yeah. up multiple towns and you all have a role in each town, but then you work on things together that influence all it's the towns. It's basically civilization, but it's with... civilization, but, but Animal Crossing. Yeah. Dude, I think we're on to I, I think we're on to something now. The, like the stock market was just the, the opening the door to this. But yeah, that that would be cool. And if they release it in twenty nineteen, at the end of twenty nineteen, they can then have a marketing campaign about like the twenty twenty election but Animal Crossing, like they did for Mario Party Five where it was all about like vote for your favorite Mario Party or President like, of the World. President of the Animal Cross of the Wild World. Yeah. Dude, we're on to something here. I hope Nintendo's listening. I think that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, we really don't know much about Animal Crossing except that's coming. But something like that would be really neat. Um, then similarly, we also got a surprise in the form of Luigi's Mansion Three, um, and also we don't know much about that. What we do, what we got to see was, um, to be fair, more than a logo. Thank you, Nintendo. More than not actual game footage that I mistook for actual game footage. We got real game footage, like actual gameplay, basic gameplay. There's no HUD visible. There's no idea of what's going on in the game but did confirm that the uh, plunger gun that Luigi used in the in the Smash Bros. Direct the last time Nintendo did one of these presentations and everyone's like what is that plunger? That is a weapon he has in Luigi's Mansion 3 so it was kind of like a weird tease of the next Luigi's Mansion at the time. Who knew? But yeah, um, besides that we don't really know much. We know it exists. We know it'll be out in 2019. It kind of looks like it's in a hotel or something but yeah, I don't know. I mean, one thing I noticed... What, what was your takeaway when you saw it? Um, please don't be easy, as easy <laughs> as Dark Moon. Dark Moon was be fun. Be as easy or be as structured? Easy. Okay. Structure could have been fine. I would have liked if there was this one big mansion that you just kind of, like, explore and expand over time, like the original. Yeah. But the game was just so easy that it was, like, borderline boring. And it was just kind yeah. of a drag to get through. And the final boss was really fun. I really liked the final boss. Mm-hmm. I thought that one was really cool and creative. But overall, like, it just left me disappointed. And also on top of the fact that um, the original Luigi's Mansion was just kind of... It was goofy and creepy at the same time. Like, the more humanoid ghosts that you have to, like, take down. Like, the guy that was just, like, gorging himself. Yep. The 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 painter or, like, I don't know. There was just all this kind of... There's just more creepy stuff going on. But in Dark Moon, you had, like zit, like, none of that at all. It was just even more generic-looking ghosts just pop up out of nowhere yeah so I was, I, so I'm kind of hoping it goes back to that it's too early to tell whether they're gonna go more in the dark moon dude, direction the, the but footage looks just like dark moon. yeah that's why so the geometry the lighting so I could dismiss it now but I'm I'm holding out that there could be something there yeah even dude even like the the slaps or even like the plunger gun is more slapsticky like dark moon and like because to your point yeah Luigi's Mansion 1 was like kind of this like creepy funny is more shadowy and mysterious. This one's like super bright and colorful looking, relatively speaking. Has a plunger gun, which is like a cue from the rabbits. Like it's just yeah, it feels stylistically more cartoony and more like Dark Moon. 
which makes yeah. me think gameplay wise it might be more cartoony or more like uh, Dark Moon. But I mean, so the, about... the one thing I really want is well, yeah, the one thing I really want is they need to bring back dual analog. They got a Joy Con, they got two Joy Cons with two sticks. Yes, having the the vacuum and the flashlight together worked okay on Dark Moon. It wasn't problematic, but I just I liked the structure of the controls of the first game. I liked the structure of the first game more overall. Having it be one huge mansion you explore versus like compartmentalized things just felt more interesting. I'm thinking this will go back to that even because if it's just one giant hotel, they can just have you going to different floors and different rooms and still have them all interconnected in almost like a Metroidvania style way. But um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm hoping it turns into. We'll see. We'll see. I, I do think like Animal Crossing, one thing that's for sure going to happen is it's going to have a multiplayer component. I mean, in the direct, Nintendo revealed that next month's Luigi's Mansion 3DS remake has a multiplayer component. You're going to be able to do co-op. One person's Luigi. One person is the laziest second character I've ever seen, which is just a textureless green Luigi. I don't know why. They couldn't even do Waluigi. Like, that would have been funny, but nope. Um, But yeah, I'm thinking bigger than that for whatever they do with Luigi's Mansion on (laughs) Switch. Because I'm tight. Because I'm tight again. Because I'm tight again. But But what I think would be cool is if, like, the multiplayer for Luigi on Switch, if they almost leaned into the whole Luigi died meme from the Smash Direct, like, instead of just playing as someone who's alive, why not play as someone who's dead? Like, one player could be the haunter and one could be the hunter. And you kind of do, like, this delicate dance of trying to outsmart each other as you travel around the mansion. I mean, essentially what I'm pitching here is a flushed-out version of the 1v... Or like, a flushed-out 1v1 version of Luigi's Mansion's uh, minigame in Nintendo Land. That was really cool. Yeah, so if they just did, like, a two-person version of that where you're exploring multiple rooms in a mansion... And maybe there are power-ups involved and stuff like that. And you actually have to solve puzzles and try and throw the other pe- person off from completing those puzzles. Like, that would be cool. It's basically single-player, but you're playing opposite ends of it simultaneously. I mean, I think I think it would require you need at least two Switches, which would make it a little more difficult for them to sell this as, like, you know, a multiplayer game on Switch because it's all about two Joy-Cons in one system. But that could be cool. And then they can, you know, throw in the co-op with weird textureless green Luigi as, like, the alternate thing you could do with just two joy cons on one system if they want but yeah I, I would love for them to do something like that so so we'll see I'm full of ideas Nintendo shows me 10 seconds of a logo and I'm, I just run wild with it I let them take care of it <laughs> I don't I just set myself up for disappointment when they don't make Animal Crossing New America or whatever we're calling it <laughs> but uh, yeah I think on the other hand then sometimes they show games that don't have titles and that is just weird because I don't even know what to make of them case in point well, the bigger surprises in the direct, I think, was um, this thing called Town. It's a horror. It's a stupid name, Town. Actually, it's not that bad when I say it out loud. I'm sorry, it's not stupid. Sorry, Game Freak. Wow. But it's it's a new RPG by Game Freak. It has nothing to do with Pokemon. Um, yeah, there's just there. Uh, there's a lot of things that ran through my head when I first saw that. I mean, Game Freak... <laughs> what do they make have time to make a whole other RPG That's what I'm while working on... on two RPGs. Because yeah. they have Let's Go in November. They have Pokemon Core RPG sometime in 2019, second half. And now they have Town, also in 2019. Or I guess their vision for Pokemon was so clear and easy. They're like, oh, we could... Let's just add do another game. Or just use that pre-existing it model looks like to make... It looks like they're retrofitting some sort of engine that will be Pokemon. Yeah, right? Doesn't it? Yeah, and I mean, other other non-Pokemon games have been great. Stuff. Oh, like, yeah. No, like I'm excited Harmonite, for Drill Dozer, so... Uh, that weird badass elephant game on Xbox. Yeah, uh, Pocket Card Jockey. Do not forget Park- Tumbo, Pocket Card Tumbo, Jockey. Tumbo? Yeah, yeah t- t- Tumbo the Badass Elephant. Yeah, like that's that. what it is. I, I still can't believe Nintendo didn't publish that. 
Right. So weird. It's like not even on Nintendo. Right? Yeah. And then, of course, I know I already said it, but seriously, Park Your Card Jockey on 3DS, amazing game. So that's also them. So yeah, the fact that this exists and it's by Game Freak instantly had me interested. But I'm just kind of like, how, when are they? And it's an RPG by the guys who are masters of RPGs with Pokemon. So it's just, okay, this makes sense. But where do they find the time? Where are they finding these resources? I, I just don't know. But conceptually, it's kind of a cool idea. So instead of, it's a traditional RPG, it looks like, but instead of going out into the world to fight monsters, you wait patiently and the monsters come to you and fight you in the city. So like it almost kind of looks like if it was like Harvest Moon or something where you're doing tasks for people in the city, but then instead of farming, you're fighting monsters. Like it's all, the whole game's going to be in this one town. And everything you do will influence how it unfolds. And you can, when you help villagers, they will come and help you in battle. So it's all very much like a Harvest Moon situation. It's just with monsters. Uh, I've never played Harvest Moon, but I've only heard good things about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know really how much it's like Harvest Moon. It just reminded me of that. Or like, even to some extent, Animal Crossing. You know, you help villagers, they help you. The only difference yeah. is instead of fishing, you're fighting that weird monster that looks like a Pokemon cross with a Digimon cross with a Yokai guy. So, <laughs> yeah. So basically any generic JRPG monster is what I'm saying. But yeah, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's out next year. There's not much else to say about it, but it, it definitely caught my eye just because of Game Freak. Yeah. And also because it's like the only game that Nintendo actually showed footage of but doesn't have a name. Oh. Well, I'll keep an eye on it. Yeah, Next, I mean, you, yeah. yeah, Game Freak rarely does wrong. And in fact, I would argue their spin-off games are more interesting than their core games in some ways. Because Pokemon, yeah, Pokemon's great, but it's always Pokemon. You know what you're getting. But these, like, Drill Dozer was a very interesting take on platformers. Park, Park, Pocket Card Jockey's a very interesting take on Solitaire. And then they have two platformers in the Elephant game in Harmonite, which are just, like, kind of unique spins on those genres. So they always seem to do something different within the genre. And it feels like this is saying, Town is saying up to be that as well. So we, we shall see. Um, a smaller surprise in the Direct would have been, if it wasn't rumored a few weeks out, would have been New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe. Which someone on Twitter pointed out has a word from a like that title is all different Mario game titles. You got new from the new series. You got Super from um, the obviously the, the original side scrolling ones. You got Mario Bros. from the arcade one. You got U from Wii. You got Deluxe from Game Boy Colors remake. It's all just kind of crammed into one name. But yeah, we talked about it being a possibility two, three episodes ago, something like that. And at the time. I was saying the ideal game would have been Mario U plus Luigi U with a built-in Mario Maker level editor that only matched the skin of those levels from those games. But as I predicted also at the time, Nintendo is not ever going to do that because that's a lot of money they're leaving on the table. So instead, what we're getting is Mario U Deluxe, which comes with all the original game, all of the Luigi U levels. Nabbit is a playable character who doesn't get hurt, kind of like uh, Funky Kong in Tropical Freeze. Or just like in Mario Luigi U. Or like in Mario Luigi U. Yeah, I guess Funky Kong was actually inspired by Nabbit, not the other way around. And um, we also get, wait for it, Peachette. So, who is Peachette? Some of you may ask. And uh, she's Toadette, who turns into Peach when she touches a special crown. Because, duh, that's obviously canon we all are familiar with. Um... So when she does that, she gains the ability to double jump, and she can float like Peach and pass Mario's, and she also gains this like auto jump feature where she can recover when falling into holes. It looks like, which is basically all of this is Nintendo going, "Hey, younger players, here's a way you can do multiplayer with your parents and actually keep up." Yeah, especially if, in Luigi. If, if Nabbit not handholdy enough, well, here you go. Yeah, here's one where it's like you're in control and you can get hurt, but we're gonna give you quite the cushion before you get hurt. But but that doesn't explain Peach at like. Don't think about what it. What is that? 
who is that? Why is that? And the short answer, I would, I have thought about it. And the short answer, I think, is Peach is a damsel in distress in Mario U. So unless they redo the whole opening and figure out an alternative, like, motivator for Mario to go on this journey, they kind of needed her to be stuck with Bowser. As old-fashioned as that may sound, the damsel in distress thing. Like, seriously, they'd have to redo the whole scenario. But there's a second, longer answer. literally just made a daisy model and just, like... I agree. I'll you know, just swap it out. I mean, they already swapped out copy yellow paste, toad. Copy paste the animations. I mean, yeah, they already swapped out. Um, they were blue toad and yellow toad originally, and now there's normal toad and uh, all toadette. of gold and buckingberry or something. Whatever they had they're... names. They did. Oh, that's right. What were, were they? what were they? All of gold and buckingberry. All of gold. All of gold or something uh, like that. Huh. There were names given by like I guess like one of the devs. They were just like. I think it came out in a Wada Asks. They were, they were just like the code names or something like that. And everyone mm-hmm. just like embraced them. To this day, clearly they have not because they're not publicly called that. <laughs> but I'm glad internally they have names opposed to just the red one or the blue one and the yellow one. That was the laziest thing in Mario U, like to have two toads. Like really? Cause I want, anyway. There's the, a bunch of toads. I, mean. I know. No, I get it. Like toads are a, a, a species, a race, if you will. But... Yeah, that was very lazy. But anyway, I think there's a second um, longer answer as to why Peachette might exist. And it actually isn't my idea. It comes by way of a Twitter account called Supper Mario Broth. Yes, that's its name, which if you've never heard of, it's actually a pretty cool account. It focuses on showing all the weird oddities and inconsistencies in Mario games. So it's like screenshots of weird things that are like tucked away in Mario RPG. Or like, you know, if you zoom in this in this one way, you notice that Mario's mustache is not actually rendered in the game at all. It's just a 2D slapped on pixel, like stuff like that. And the, the guy kind of runs it. He's a little eccentric. Um, he takes his job very seriously to the point that every so often... He posts these very long-winded apologies like, oh, I, I messed up the sourcing on this screenshot or like I made an insensitive comment because I made fun of fans of Peach Gold or Rose Gold Peach or like, you know, random stuff like that. But it is a cool account. Um, he posts neat stuff and he came up with this theory which actually makes a lot of sense. Peachette is a reference to Mario 64 DS because in Mario 64 DS, you played as Yoshi. And what happened is if you were touched the hats of Mario, Luigi, or Wario, you would turn into them but with a special ability you know like uh waluigi would get super wario would get super big and inflate and all that so his thinking is this is just the peach version of those hats meaning it actually peachette name aside is sort of a proven thing in the mario universe already makes sense yeah i was just kind of like oh wow that's that's interesting like because it seems so random and stupid goes back like, to the oh, whole there are no more original ideas it's true I, I they keep it, yeah. recycling things yeah that's my favorite Nintendoism is doesn't you think something was things. new and creative and bold it really isn't I, I mean Peach Hat is certainly bold <laughs> but creative and new I don't know but she's most definitely bold but yeah like hat stuff aside um, I think it, it's interesting it's been interesting to watch Nintendo do more and more of these enhanced ports over the years and not just on Switch but on 3DS too because you know we touched on at the top of the show that 3DS is getting Kirby's extra epic yarn which is basically the exact same formula formula of what they're doing with Mario U Deluxe except it's on a different platform so they're taking an older game they're putting in a quote unquote new character in this case it's just new transformations for Kirby they're adding a difficulty in this case they make it harder not easier by adding adding, adding a devilish mode and that template is basically what they also use for DK Tropical Freeze and what they use for Hyrule Warriors and what they use, you know, they keep doing this over and over again. So for Kirby on 3DS, 
it has the extra perk of just being another way to produce a game for a budget system with a budget development uh, budget. <laughs> so I, yeah, I it makes sense that it's happening. Although I do wonder why they aren't dual platforming it like Captain Toad. Like Captain Toad is 3DS and Switch, and they had double the opportunity for sales there. It seems weird that Kirby's Extra Epic Yarn is not also on Switch. Mm. Seems like like it seems like an easy filler game, and it's not like they have to upres very much. They just HDFI the texture nice. work. The only thing I can think of is it's too similar to Yoshi's uh, Crafted World in aesthetic, but not really because Yoshi's now cardboard. So I, I yeah, don't and know. he kind of moves around in 3D space. This one's all 2D. So. Yeah, yeah. So it would have been different. But anyway, for Mario U Deluxe, uh, it does help pad out the lineup. I think it helps pad out. I mean, like I'm probably not gonna buy it, or you gonna buy it? Nope. Yeah, but it helps pad out. It does help pad out the lineup for new Switch owners. Just, especially since it comes out right after Christmas. It's coming out January um, 11th. So I imagine there's going to be a fair number of people out there who got gift cards on Christmas along with a Switch. They want a new game to play. And, you know, this seems like a good one to get. I mean, honestly, it is a good game. It's the... The way I've always compared it is it's the Mario world of the new Super Mario Brothers series. Like, it's the one that kind of branches out in the most directions and whatnot. So it's a good game. It's a very good game. It's just one we've played. It's not like like the pinnacle of Mario, but it's a quality, solid... Mario platformer. Yeah, it's probably one of my favorite 2D Marios. It might be my favorite just because all of a sudden I weep 100% of that game also. And it was just a ton of fun to play it in co-op, mm-hmm. which past Marios didn't really have. So that like just automatically made it better in our opinion. Right. Yeah. And, and it is a good, like this is a really good release tab on Switch. And again, you get a new Switch and three weeks later you can pick up a brand, for you, a brand new Mario platformer. Why not? One small funny thing I noticed, though, is because it has you in the name, it feels like Nintendo's really going out of their way to make it abundantly clear it's on Switch, because this is probably the only Switch game that, in the logo, has Joy-Cons. On either side of the word Deluxe are the blue and red Joy-Cons, which I can only assume is them trying to counteract the giant U that is directly above it. As if there's any possible confusion because there's a Switch logo in the corner. They're like, no, 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 it's right for Switch. Here's the controllers in the logo. We're telling you it's for Switch. Which is kind of a funny little thing. It's the only U game to come out on Switch at all, actually. They should have just numbered it. They should have. Or done years. They're releasing these games so frequently. They could have done, like, New Super Mario Bros. 2016, I think is when this will come out. Not 16. When did the Wii U come out? I don't know, but I don't think you want to date the game, though. No, yeah, you wouldn't want to call it that if it's called 2012. It was 2012 that came out. There we go. But, yeah, speaking of years, um, if you look at at, uh, 2019 as a whole... Mario U's kind of start of what shaped up to be a really massive year for Switch. I mean, you've got Mario, obviously, we just talked about it. You've got Animal Crossing. You've got that core Pokemon RPG in the second half of the year. You've got Bayonetta 3, Luigi's Mansion 3, Fire Emblem 3 Houses, so many 3s. Um, maybe Metroid Prime 4, assuming it stays true to its release. And that's not even including games they touched on direct that we haven't talked about yet, like Damon X Machina, which um, the last time, actually, we talked about... I incorrectly called Deus Ex Machina, and that is a totally different game. That is by Square Enix, and one of our listeners who goes by uh, the Javels, he actually called me out on Twitter, and we settled on officially calling the game here on the show because I went through so many different pronunciations of it. We just call it Damon Wayne's Machina, so that's what I'm calling it from now on. It's Damon X, but it's Damon Wayne's to me, and um, yeah, that's another game coming out next year. It's not you know the same caliber as the others, but it fills the lineup, and they also have. That game kind of tailor-made because I'm tight. Oh, sneezing you. a lot. Yep. You're just allergic to Nintendo Directs. Very much. But yeah, I was going to say that they also um, are 
kind of catering Damon X Machina to make sense on Switch, they're adding a four-player co-op mode, which, granted, it's online, and I think you need separate systems, but, you know, that kind of fits the MO of every good Switch game, it seems. And, of course, we also have, as we were talking about, Yoshi's Crafted World, which, um, that title actually got leaked the day of the original Direct, because in a rare move, Nintendo themselves slipped up and uploaded the name change to their website, separate from the Direct. Actually, before the Direct would have even gone live, which is kind of weird. But, either way, looks nice. Has a pretty significant graphical overhaul. Looks pretty, like, actually gorgeous. Like, even the, the character art they released, like, the official art. Yoshi looks like he's made of suede or felt or something. Like, it's really detailed art. And his shoes are, like, this super shiny plastic. Like, it looks... Very it looks good. like the nice progression from the last game. Exactly. Sure. Yeah, it looks it looks nice. And um I'm I will say I'm still surprised that we don't have Labo support in there. It feels like even more of a shoe in now because the day, the game doubled down on the cardboard craft aesthetic. The idea that you can flip the cardboard around every which way is even more prevalent. They're saying you can play entire levels backwards and forwards. And the name makes sense. You're crafting things in Labo, you're craft the game's crafted, like it all makes sense. Nothing. Granted, it's not out till uh, spring of next year, so there's plenty of time for them to share plans of hooking in Labo, assuming they do, but I'm, I'm just surprised I didn't use the opportunity to say it, especially to kind of bolster up uh, the vehicle kit sales, which just, that just went, uh, that just came out on Friday. So, I don't know. Was any part of Labo everyone else during a Direct, or no. was it always its own thing? It's always been its own thing, because they always have been trying to keep it separate from the core games, oh, but if they probably... were to bridge it over, ultimately... I guess they don't want to. Yeah, or you're right. They'll probably announce it separately and just keep that going. Maybe they'll have a Labo Direct one I mean, day. It's like Mario Kart and Labo. That was yeah. just yeah, announced. and they've done that twice with Mario Kart now. First with the original motorbike, and now with the steering wheel and stuff. Mm. But yeah, my my point is, there's a lot of first party content in 2019, and that doesn't include like the evergreen tiles that Nintendo continues to push. I mean, in the Direct they had a huge segment dedicated to Splatoon 2's version four update, uh, which is already out. And they also had a huge segment to Mario Tennis 2.0's update, which comes out later this month. And in both cases, it seems like those games are going to be supported well in 2019, in addition to all the new content. I mean, Mario Tennis, they outright said it's supported until next June. And then Splatoon... I mean, Splatoon 2 is the top-selling Switch game in Japan now. The number one Switch game in Japan is Splatoon 2. And it'd be crazy for them to not pump out content. And given that the 4.0 update... A huge part of it is changing how Splatfest work. There's now two different ways to play. Instead of it being um, solo and team, it's now called normal and pro. And there's extra casual, friendly things in normal that are non-pro. Pro is basically the old mode. And uh, yeah, doing that, revamping Splatfest, implies Splatfest are going to be going for quite a while. So I don't think, I don't think we're going to be seeing those games go away anytime soon. And that's on top of you know the half dozen games I just route off from first party. So then there's of course the third party side. Which, you know, we already talked about Starlink, but there's there's an interesting variety of games coming to Switch on the third-party side. I mean, a lot were ports, a lot are ports, but some trends started to develop in what we're seeing this year and beyond. And they're, they're kind of interesting. I think the, the first is uh, one that, in retrospect, I'm kind of shocked didn't happen sooner. People are actually taking the tabletop mode of Switch quite literally. Um... This was most apparent with a suite of games from Esmodi Digital. I think that's how you say their name, Esmodi. Um, that's what I would go with. Yeah, and they so they, they announced five, four, five, six games. Uh, three were specifically shown in a direct. Carcassonne. I'm definitely saying that wrong. Am I saying that I wrong? I guess it's as good as mine. 
Carcass- they say it in the direct. I just don't remember <laughs> how they say it. But this is a tile-based board game where you're basically building terrain as you play, and that comes out in December in digital form. Then there's Pandemic, which is a tabletop game where you try and stop, stop the spread of a virus, and that's coming in digital form in March. And then in April, we're getting a Lord of the Rings living card game, which is obviously a card game, and that comes out, like I said, in April. So all three are already existing physical games. They're now going digital, and you know it's all about playing on one device. And in theory, you could put the, the, the Switch in the middle of your table and have everyone crowd around it like you would a board game. And they're all going to have... Very tiny board game. It'll be a tiny board game. But they're all going to have single-player modes against AI if you don't want to play multiplayer. They'll all somewhat cleverly recreate their booster packs and their expansions and whatnot through paid DLC. So it's basically just what you have in real board games but without the tactile physical element. And then from there, they're going to roll out a game set in the World of Settlers of Catan. And they're going to do, weirdly, a dungeon crawler based on the Munchkin card game. So you you play a fair number of tabletop games. Like this isn't really my world. This is definitely more your world. What what's your what's your read on this when you saw it was announced? I mean, it's interesting. I feel like it's an interesting way to try out games. But I don't know. From my experience, like it feels like most people that want to play tabletop games play tabletop games because they want to have something physical in their hands. They don't play it because they just want to play it on TV. Right. Like I feel like. If I get that game and if I buy the Settlers of Catan version, we're always we're only going to play it ever physically. It's just going to go to waste. Kind of like how Monopoly is going to waste. Right. Yeah, we don't really ever play it. Yeah. But, I mean, it is a cool thing that's coming out. I'm sure a lot of people will love the fact that you don't have to, I guess, prep or clean up or set up. Or, anything. like, I think one of the big advantages is if you're an aficionado of these games and, yeah, you prefer tactile play, there's a huge advantage of not needing to actually carry these around like a board or multiple decks of cards or hundreds of tiles or whatever because you, you can have them all on your device and then if you're down at Comic-Con or something like we are and you want to play something at a hotel, it's all just right there to play. You don't have to worry about cramming them in the car yeah, or what for something like that, or... But at the same time, like people I feel that are really dedicated to tabletop games don't see that as a drawback. I don't necessarily mean if they're super dedicated. I just mean if you and your friends enjoy playing it. Yeah, there's going to be diehards that are like, this isn't the same. But if you and your friends like casually play these things, and they're like, oh, there's going to be like six of us in a hotel at Comic-Con, I might as well... Like, the truck is... The car is full. We have all our swag and stuff. I might as well just bring the Switch, and it's on there with like three other games that we could all play. Well, I mean, at that point, it just yeah. sounds like you really don't even have the option to have brought it. Well, that's what I'm saying. It provides yeah. an option when you don't yeah. have one. Yeah, which is kind of nice. Um, there's also, I mean, yes, I think... A lot of people are going to prefer the tactile, but I, they do have single player. They do have AI. There is the fact that you now don't necessarily always need to play with people if other people are busy and you really, really have a craving for Catan. Apparently, you now have a way. Yeah, which I... I don't know if that exists. Yeah, like, gonna, I'm not yeah, in this world. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't think I've <laughs> but, ever known anyone that would want to really play a tabletop game by themselves yeah, unless the game is designed that way, which some can right. be, but... Yeah, I, I or maybe I don't, they haven't said one way or another if they have online. But if they have online, you know, and you have friends around, that's an option as well. It's I'm not saying these replace; they kind of augment. Like it's just kind of like a new way to play. That hopefully, I think uh, Nintendo and the developers are hoping, hopefully that will get people to consider getting these on Switch. Because once they do that, the second advantage of these games is they kind of form a bridge that connects people that are into the tabletop games with more traditional video games that Switch has to offer. I mean, if you're a fan of board games, it's not that far to go from a tabletop game to Super Mario Party because it has the board game elements. Granted, it's more casual, but then it has the more video game stuff with mini games. Or if you like a card game, 
maybe you pick up Elder Scrolls Legends and start yeah. playing that in addition to having Munchkin's Dungeon Crawler which by the way why not just do Digital Munchkin that's weird which is basically why um, like these other games that caught my attention are Mellow and Siegecraft because they're basically board games yeah, but... yeah indies are latching onto this exact same idea which is smart yeah and though they're definitely like a like a hop skip from this Asmodi right yeah, like, I mean, one is basically just, it's kind of like Heroescape. I just like the That's fact, Armello, right? Yeah, That's Armello. Like yeah, it's like the the very nice, like, artsy-looking animal war game. Mm-hmm. But what's cool about that one is that when you do combat, it's pretty much just like any other board game where you would throw attack dice, you throw your defense dice, you power up your, your skills, you use these cards to augment your army. I mean, I'm definitely keeping my eye on it just because it looks interesting, but... They're still... I think it's been out already for... Yeah, a couple weeks. It's been on other systems for a while. It's yeah, been on Switch a week? Yeah, it's been on <laughs> Steam and it's been on PS4, but I definitely want to look more into it just because it looks interesting. Right. It, right. And, but also Siege Commander, because that one just reminds me of like a... Siege Craft Commander, I believe. Siege Craft Commander. Fancy name. <laughs> it's like a console-friendly StarCraft. Like StarCraft, you kind of need a mouse and keyboard. They somehow made it work for... N64 and the developers are saying that they really had to essentially rethink the whole game when they made it for N64. But right, Star, StarCraft, you mean? Yeah, StarCraft. Yeah. But yeah. this one, on the other hand, they're just revolving around the fact that they're just keeping things simple. Instead of, in StarCraft, you have, if you want to build certain units, you have to build a certain kind of base. That base allows you to build another specific kind of base that you need the base prior to that. Mm-hmm. There's like a building order. This one still kind of has that. But it's all dedi- but it all revolves around a wheel. Like if you build your first base, you have a I guess you have a wheel that you just pick with your analog stick which you want to build next. And what's interesting is that you have to fire a ball and wherever that yeah, ball Yeah, I was watching footage of this. And where that ball lands, that's where your next building is gonna be built and it creates a wall that connects it to the previous building. And it's all real time, and, right? Yeah. And if yeah. you build like say an armory wherever that ball lands that allows you to build specific things that you would only be able to build if you have that armory but then you're kind of it's pretty much building a tree it's like a tree diagram Mm -hmm. and if they destroy any part of the root anything before that gets destroyed so how you build it where you build it is really important checking make checking the terrain so i just like that it reminds me of starcraft but it's still different enough that it looks like it could stand on its own so yeah and it's such an easy like hop skip and jump from these tabletop games that kind of it's just like if, if someone yeah, it's very if you much were to same. indoctrinate someone who only plays tabletop games into the switch the path would be get them on the digital ones that they announced give them something like armello give them something like seedcraft commander and then presumably the final step the real meteor step is to just go all the way to sib six yeah like it's like the perfect path that they've now forged and uh, was there anything else you guys say about Siegecraft? Mm-hmm. Nope. Okay, because I was gonna say that because uh, one of the big announcements in the direct was, of course, Civ Six Civilization Six. Um, I don't think I would have ever guessed that a game like Civ would end up on Switch, but here it is, and it was one of the more surprising things. It would have been a real surprise if Two K didn't leak it on their own website, but Leak that it aside, revealed it. they leaked it. They deleted the website about twenty oh. minutes after it came out. <laughs> they leaked it, uh, but regardless. What they're doing on Switch is pretty cool because this is the full Civilization experience. This is one step beyond the kind of lighter fare of Siegecraft or, or Mellow or anything like that. And you have you know uh, 24 different leaders throughout history you can play as. There are four scenarios to work through in addition to that, like colonizing Australia, defending Poland, very like actual historical things. But then in the Switch version, in addition to having all that content, they are doing a local wireless play mode for up to four people. 
which yes, Civ has online, but to be able to have four people sitting together and all play the game in one room without having to do like a land situation that takes forever to set up is kind of cool. It's like super convenient. It's sort of the same logic and reasoning as why I think at least it makes sense that, you know, the Asmodee digital games are happening. It provides kind of an alternate way to do what you want to do that's more convenient and augments what you're used to already doing. The downside, of course, is uh, because you can't possibly at all do four people on a single device with Civ because it's so much going on on the screen. Split screening, that would be horrible. You will need four switches. But it seems a lot easier than lugging over four PC towers. Yeah. So, I mean, have you ever played Civilization? I've never played Civilization, but I've heard good things. No, I've never played it before. Don't really even know how it works. All I know from it is that those have this running joke or something a while ago. I don't know which civilization it was for, but they there was a glitch where they programmed Gandhi incorrectly, and he ended up being very aggressive. Oh yeah, and that just became a thing. So now he's like one of the hardest like opponents to play against. But well, he's so. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Two K can spin it, or Sid Meier himself can spin it as well. He's so aggressive about peace. That's why he's so difficult because he's aggressively trying to not go to war. <laughs> but yeah, it's. Uh... Yeah, I've never played it either. I mean, we can change that. Switch version comes out November 16th. But even if we weren't to change that, I think that Civilization is still a pretty important release for Switch because it's part of the second trend I've noticed among the third-party announcements lately. And that is an invasion of games that traditionally have been big on PC and not so much on console. Like, if you look at Switch, for a while now, a lot of people have considered it kind of the console version of Steam, like because of the huge indie scene and the onslaught of games and not having, you know, having too much to play. You keep buying games, you never get to them. And now we're slowly but surely getting the other half of the PC gaming world, which is games like Civilization, or, you know, in the same direct, they announced um, City Skyline, a city management game that was released as a surprise same day thing. Um, then you've got Roller Coaster Tycoon Adventures coming out on Switch pretty soon. Uh, there's, of course, Diablo 3, which is now coming out November 2nd. There's. This just onslaught of games that traditionally have not been on Nintendo platforms, have not been on consoles, except, well, I guess they've been on, some of these have been on consoles as ports, but they're, you know, PC first, you want to play them with a mouse and keyboard usually, and now for one reason or another that I can't quite figure out, Switch is just getting them. I mean, Switch doesn't exactly have a suitable replacement for a mouse and keyboard. It has a touchscreen, but from my understanding, I don't think any of these games, which may, maybe the exception is Roller Coaster Tycoon, but I don't think any of the others are using the touchscreen at all. So mm. it's not even like they're like, oh, well, because of touch, it makes sense. They're just showing up anyway. And they are showing up with, like, extra stuff to make it worthwhile. Like, they are trying to get people a double dip so they can play them on the go. I mean, Cities, uh, City Skyline comes with both expansions that are out. Civ, as we talked about, has all the expansions baked in. Diablo's going to let you spawn enemies to mooch loot from them by tapping any amiibo once a day or something like that. So you can literally just have different types of enemies based on the amiibo pop up, kill them, get the gold, move on. Um, yeah, it seems like they're all kind of trying to cater to Switch beyond just, hey, now you can play our thing on the go. And I hope they do well because I think there's a subsection of the gaming world that Nintendo rarely gets to see that Switch is opening a door to for one reason or another, which I'm still not entirely sure what it is. But, like, you don't... We have not, as you point out, StarCraft is on N64 and had to rework it like crazy. And then that was it from, that, from like, Blizzard. Like, Diablo's the first thing since then outside of, like, Lost Vikings on Game Boy Advance. And now we have Civilization on Nintendo system for the first time in a meaningful way. I think it was on DS, but it's scaled down, obviously. And, you know, it's... It's just cool to see like these fully fledged versions of these types of games now showing up. So 
I mean, I know Smash is going to dominate your life. Any of these going to be something you'd ever consider? Is this a genre, is this a world of gaming you have any interest in? For me, like cities, maybe. Mm, if I ignore that Smash Bros. exists, yeah, um... yeah, pretend it's not coming out. Because I know, I know, Mister One Track Mind over here. I guess not too much. I mean, at most, um, just the Siegecraft Commander one that I mentioned. Right, right. Maybe Civilization. It really does depend on games that I could see myself playing with some friends. Because I would never play these by myself. Right. Like, Civilization 6 would be fun to play with some friends, but how many friends are going to get Civilization 6? So, yeah. Uh, the, the downfall of Switch. It's so multiplayer-oriented that the multiplayer dictates the purchase, which I get. Yeah, totally. I mean, I don't think I would necessarily get Diablo unless we had friends who had it on Switch and we could all raid or whatever together. Um, but City City Skyline might be the one. I really love some City. I know this is a little different, but similar enough. I just hope they could... You could follow each person individually. I know. You could do that in SimCity 3000, I think, or 4000. But I just hope they uh, fix the frame rate because it was not so hot looking in the direct. Apparently in a stream they did after the fact, the developers, it looked a lot smoother. And apparently there's talk they're looking at touch controls, maybe. But... Yeah. And I just figured out why these games are coming to Switch. You know, I was like, I don't get it. It's probably because ultimately someone had the idea of what if you used the Joy-Con like a mouse pointer. So you have touch on the go, mouse pointer on the TV. Problem is they don't support that yet. So I'm back to square one. I'm not knowing why. Never mind. But uh, quick aside. Quick aside about Diablo before we move on. Um, I don't know if you remember a few episodes back when we were talking about Diablo 3's reveal. We kind of wondered out loud why it doesn't currently have crossplay as a feature. Like, that seemed like a weird oversight. And a listener of ours named Aaron had a theory that he tweeted as, and it makes sense. Um, so the other versions of Diablo 3 always have all, always online DRM running. So if Switch is portable and thus can't always be online, it's possible that Blizzard's thinking is they're going to leave off crossplay with the Switch version because they don't want what people do on Switch if it were to be hacked or modded in any way to sort of taint the economies of the other games. Because those are always online. This isn't. So someone could basically sneak around the restrictions set up on those always online ones using a Switch, which is actually totally reasonable. If that's the case, like, that that makes sense. So, well, this is not a deal breaker. Yeah, and that's just yeah. a theory from Aaron. But still, thanks for the possible idea, Aaron. That actually makes a lot of sense and answers our questions from a few ago. And yes, it's not a deal breaker because I think, I think where Diablo's going to shine on Switch is actually local multiplayer. So we will see. But uh, back to the direct. The third third party trend, if you want to keep this idea of there being trends going, um, is one that it's really the Switch story of 2018. It's nothing new, but a lot of old games are now new again. We see it outside the, the directs all the time. I mean, you know, some are straight up ports, some go beyond that. And in the direct, there are really two companies who are driving this. Capcom announced the uh, Beat 'em Up bundle, which is a retro collection they've done similar to Mega Man and Street Fighter complete with online co-op except now it's featuring the side-scoring beat em up so final fight commander or captain commando and then some pre-fc not on console ones like armored warriors so if that's your thing it's on like a week i mean, I've, I've actually weirdly i've never been a fan of that genre i always find it really repetitive which makes no sense because it's every side-scoring game is equally repetitive to that but for some reason i just never the ninja turtle games never really did it like i never got into that yeah i can kind of relate yeah, it's strange because it was such a popular genre in the early 90s, but nope. Yeah, I think the Ninja Turtles the only one I got into, but... That's because of the license. Yeah, but that's because it was Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. Other than that, um, you get rid of the, the license and 
Yeah, I do find beat 'em ups kind of repetitive. Right, but but it's cool for people who like them because this is a it's literally the Street Fighter bundle except now with beat 'em ups. So that's mm. a cool thing. And then you also have Square Enix, who somehow announced eight, eight entirely separate Final Fantasy games in the span of about three minutes, which is crazy. <laughs> like they, I mean, some are straight ports, but we're talking about the likes of Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy IX, both ten and ten two, each in HD. Plus, they have tweaked or enhanced versions of more modern games. Uh, Chuckbo's Mystery Dungeon, World of Final Fantasy. Uh, they did a surprise release of Final Fantasy 15 Pocket Edition HD. That's already out on Switch if you want to like follow that story but not have it look quite as pretty or have you driving an Audi R8. Um, yeah, it's just like Square Enix was already one of the biggest supporters of Switch. But the sheer quantity of these games and arguably the quality of each just put them in like a whole other tier compared to other publishers. Like... It's crazy that the company who turned their back on Nintendo for like two generations is now the single biggest third party on Switch and is giving everything over. I mean, to have Final Fantasy VII on Nintendo system sometime next year is just that. I mean, it would be while more impactful every, if everyone, Cloud wasn't in Smash. While but. everyone else gets the fancy new Final Fantasy VII? Only PlayStation 4 so far. Is it? Are yeah. you sure? Yeah. Positive? It's exclusive. Yeah. Positive? Yep. 100% for now. Sure. For now. They, I mean, Square Enix is also bringing all these Final Fantasies to Xbox, all these like easy ports. So presumably, it could end up on Xbox Two, Final Fantasy Seven. But I believe it was announced as PS Four exclusive. But yeah, it's just like it's a lot of. Are you looking that up? You're looking that up. Go for it. It's it's just yeah, it's a lot of Square Enix, and they, <laughs> I think they announced more Final Fantasies in this direct than they have released Final Fantasies on a single Nintendo platform since back in the day. It it's crazy. But one that I personally found, while you look this up, one I personally found to be the most intriguing is uh, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remastered. Because I think what this signifies is we kind of entered this era of GameCube-era remasters. And in the case of Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, I don't know if you remember, but back in 2004, this game was a big deal. It was the first Final Fantasy on Nintendo home console since Square Enix defected to playstation it was published by nintendo and it was a showcase at the time of the amazingness quote-unquote of the gamecube Game Boy advanced connectivity thing that nintendo was pushing so hard back then so if memory serves me right because this is going back a bit but if memory serves me right at the time a lot of people were soured by the connectivity requirements and the fact that it was a co-op action RPG spinoff. This was not a real Final Fantasy. This was some weird shoehorning of Nintendo's f- ridiculous new idea and they're putting it in Final Fantasy and Square Enix can't give us a real Final Fantasy. They can only give us this weird, like, fake Final Fantasy. This is lame. Da, 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 da. Like, it's a slightly less ver- uh, lesser version of the backlash to Wind Waker being Zelda. Is what I kind of remember. But personally, like, I didn't have a comparison point to regular Final Fantasies working against me, so I just saw it for what it was. I saw Crystal Chronicles as this kind of gauntlety hack and slash game in the Final Fantasy world, and that in and of itself, that seemed like a lot of fun, and it was a lot of fun. It was very well done. I mean, granted, I never had the opportunity to get four people together with four Game Boy Advances and four Link cables, but even just playing by myself with a friend, that was fun. I enjoyed the game, so I'm I don't know. I'm excited for the Switch version, and what they're doing for the Switch version, which is coming out next year as a digital only release here in the U.S., is they're making a few changes. So obviously they're HDifying everything, but beyond just that, they are obviously also, I'm saying obviously a lot, but they're also losing the Game Boy Advance connectivity. So if I remember correctly, the GBA only really served to show your individual character stats and abilities. So you had all the action going on in TV, 
then you have your Game Boy Advance as a way to kind of declutter the screen. So when you picked moves, when you did whatever you needed to do, you're doing it personally on each of your Game Boys, thus keeping the main action pretty easy to follow and relatively pretty. Um, and this also applied to items and whatnot too, now that I think about it. So if they are ditching Game Boy Advance because everyone's on their own Switch playing online, now that the game supports online, um, yeah, that's not really a huge loss because that makes up the difference. But what I do wonder is how, if at all, they're going to do local multiplayer. Because, honestly, that, that's where it was at with this game. I mean, when you're playing with real humans back in the GameCube days, you had the ability to, like, stack your attacks. You can coordinate on using items on enemies or on one another. You can, yeah, like, a cursory move and you, like, put it on the person. You can either, you know, help that person or if it's on enemy, attack that enemy. And if you stack your attacks, they get more powerful. So if all of you were stacked, it's like a ultra, mega, something like that attack. And if they're you know some of fewer of you it's more powerful but not as powerful that sort of thing so communicate my point is communication was key in this game and if this supports voice chat great whatever that helps but having everyone in the same room coordinating just feels better i feel like you know like it's hard it's not as fun it's more fun when you're together playing something it's like the nintendo mission statement here better together yeah better together that's actually what the gamecube game boy advance tagline was when they were promoting that uh, connectivity better together so i hope it does have a local wireless mode and I hope they figure out a way to make that work I mean the obvious answer is everyone just has their own switch and all the data is on each individual screen but for a system that you know kind of like we were saying with Animal Crossing and Luigi for a system that has multiple controllers attached to it and its whole idea is multi- multiplayer on one device I would I would like to see them figure out a way to make that work I just don't know how that would be I mean the, the game's literally built around the idea of everyone on one screen at one time anyway you literally cannot stray too far away from the screen because there's a constant poison in the land and one person's holding the poison repellent essentially and that keeps you guys all clustered together so the game is made for something like the switch where everyone's on one screen with multiple controllers problem is how you present the information clearly so we'll see i mean it's um it's really just a matter of making the game look clean and if they can figure out a way to do that great and if they can't i guess we just have multiple switches and that's that but speaking of clean one other game from the GameCube PS2 Xbox era that's coming to Switch, and man does it look clean, is Katamari Damacy, which will now be in HD. And it's uh, it was the other big remaster announced in the Direct. It'll be released on Switch on December 7th under the new name of Katamari Damacy Reroll. And beyond just up it, Namco Bandai, or Bandai Namco, take your pick, is also adding Joy-Con-based motion controls, which are kind of weird because you hold it looks like you hold the Joy-Cons up like you're directing an air plane like an air traffic controller you just kind of lean them in the directions you want the character to roll the ball and that that's it that's all there is i mean i've never i'm pretty interested because i've never actually got to play the game for a long period of time i mean obviously it has a pretty big cult following it's pretty well known but it's never been on the town system before did, did you ever play it in any capacity yeah i've played i haven't beaten any of them but i played i played it on psp played it on ps2 played the ps3 version how is it? Um, what do you think of it? Like, would you get it on Switch? No, it's not. It's not really my kind of game. I just did it really weird and open ended and blocky no, the, and... no. The, the weirdness is just fine. The weirdness, if anything, is the draw. Just oh yeah, you like rhythm, have it. Of course, I like weird. But <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like in beat 'em up sense. Like, Too repetitive. Yeah, you're just. I mean, it's fun in small bursts, but I can't imagine myself like beating a whole campaign without kind of feeling like over it. Mm, yeah. Yeah, now that I think about it, because I mean, like the the real strategy just comes from 
like making sure you're not grabbing something that's bigger than you until you get to the side of the thing that you want to roll over. Right. And then eventually the only other obstacles become how can you get from point A to point B because sometimes they have literal like obstacles in your way. To me, but this I mean, is gonna be like nails on it. Or go ahead. But yeah, I mean, as I say, it's gonna be like nails on a chalkboard to fans of the genre. The way you describe it is this basically a ball rolling Metroidvania. Yeah. Yeah. I it, mean, granted, not structurally, but the idea of like you can only progress if you get a certain amount yeah, of stuff, it, and the only way to get the stuff is to backtrack to where you work. Yeah, it, 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 it's yeah. It's just like say you started an area <laughs> with a bunch of buildings, you yeah. can't grab anything, so you're gonna have to explore around and grab like the people, grab other things until you become big enough so you mm-hmm. can go back to where you started, where the buildings are, because now you're big enough to grab the buildings. Right. So, yeah, because yeah, I've only had one experience with this game. Now that I think about, it. I actually forgot about this, but I, I played it for about five minutes in Queens, New York. At they there is a. Uh, Museum of the Moving Picture? Museum of the Moving Image? It's a television museum, and they had a video game exhibit, and they had the PS2 version of Katamari there as an example of, like, look how artsy games can be, you guys. Like, we are we are art critics of the television world, and we can appreciate this game because it's weird, and it has J-pop blaring, and you're rolling a ball, and whatever. And they had, like, four games. This is one of them. And I played it for, like, five minutes, and I know it, it was, like, the middle of the game. I know what was going on. It was just, like, over sensory overload, and it's just, yeah, those five minutes, like, oh, this is kind of fun, but then I never had a chance to try it again, so. Now I could on Switch. Not even on DS? Was it on DS? Yeah. Was this the second time it's been on Nintendo system? Yeah, there was, like, a spinoff that was on uh, Ha, spinoff. Well done. Yeah. We should stop here. That was, we're not going to top that button. No, but, um, yeah, you're right. It was on DS. This is the second time it's on Nintendo system. The first time a true entry in the series is on the system that has normal controls. Because, yep. yeah, the oh, that's right, because the DS wing had to use the stylus, right? Yep. Yeah, forgot about that. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's only going to be like 30 bucks on Switch, I think, so I'm kind of curious to try it out December 7th. Um, but, yeah, as I, as I touched on with both these games, both Katamari and Crystal Chronicles, they are representing this growing trend of GameCube, PS2, Xbox-era games getting remastered. I mean, we're seeing it a lot now. Just the other day, separate from the Direct, Oddworld Stranger's Wrath was announced for Switch. And that is a game originally from Xbox in 2005, 4, 5. So this, of course, begs the question, with this many games happening, what other games of that era would be worth pouring to the Switch? Because in both of these games' cases, Katamari and Crystal Chronicles, and even Oddworld, we're getting... We've got situations where games that never truly broke into the mainstream are now getting a second lease on life. They have cult following, sure, but there's a lot of room for potential new players with both Crystal Chronicles, Katamari again with Oddworld. So with GameCube especially, there's a lot of games that can fit that bill. That can kind of be like, oh yeah, this was this niche thing that got pretty big. Now we can present it a second time and maybe it'll get even bigger. So with that in mind, it's kind of like what games would fit that bill. I think for me, the two I'd like to see get revived are probably Beautiful Joe and uh, Project Number 3 or Piano 3, if you remember. Was it Product or Project? Might have been project. Oh, it's project. Piano three. Yeah, I think it's project number three because it's part of the Capcom five, so it's the third game. Anyway, third game, first one released though. Doesn't make sense. But yeah, uh Beautiful Joe is a game I'd love to see because when it first came out, I mean it did well enough to generate a few sequels, but then it just kinda vanished. And it's a very good game. I mean, part of the reason it vanished was because the creator left and worked at Platinum Games and he's the guy that's behind Wonderful One O One, and that's why Wonderful One O One's art looks a lot like Beautiful Joe. But nonetheless, like it's a cool, under, uh, cool opportunity to reintroduce Joe as a character and his world and everything, and just the style of it was super slick. It was like, you know, the whole like rewinding fast forward. Or, yeah, he's kind yeah. of the the Captain Falcon of um, Capcom. of Capcom because he keeps appearing in like every spinoff game, like all the Marvels of Capcom. Yeah, games. but they never revive him properly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
it'd be cool. And like the game was really fun. Like it was it was basically a side it was a side score with a bit of a beat 'em up vibe, but it had a lot of variety. It had the tape effects, so to speak. Yeah, fast forward. Yeah, exactly. Normal, rewind. Yeah. yeah. So like it would it just feels like it could do really it could be bit, I could see it doing really well on Switch. It had its own cartoon series at some point. Right. Like it was so close to being like mainstream and then it just like stopped. Like the cartoon didn't even last that long. It was only like ten episodes or something. But so yeah, Beautiful Joe would be I think the most obvious one to revive. Um, also, again, Capcom Piano Three, as I was saying, that one I've never actually played, but I really like the concept. It's like a third-person shooter mixed with like Space Channel Five or something. It was really like everything was like just black and I mean it had color, but like the art style was a lot of black and white and angles and yeah, very you were futuristic. Like in a, you were like in a lab facility kind of thing. And yeah, I think it was, was a space very station. sterile and clean looking. Yeah, and you basically were like shooting things out of the palm of your hand in time with, not really in time with the rhythm, but the music sort of synced with it and you had to just go room to room and defeat people and things. And I just remember on at the time, a lot of people online were really into the game. It was a small group of people that even played the game. So I think like that seems like a unique perfect kind of like eShop only, quick and dirty HD remake that Capcom to do. And it, you know, it could perhaps revive this, the game for them. Same with Beautiful Joe. So I don't know. Those are just a couple. I mean, are there any that jump out? Are there any games you remember from GameCube that were like underappreciated that now could have a moment to really shine? Probably the Chibi Robo. Yeah, yeah. If Nintendo oh. ever goes back to doing it correctly, exactly. Like that one was underappreciated and misrepresented. So mm-hmm. the double whammy. Yeah, that'd be good. You know, similarly, if we're, if we're going down the road of Nintendo games, Pikmin and... Two. Oh, they already did bring that back. New playstyle on Wii with the motion controls. Yeah, but like a proper sequel. But oh, like yeah. not Pikmin three. Well, just yeah. wait, Pikmin four. I mean, they got it right with the DLC. The DLC was great. It's like probably like bad. This DLC makes it almost redeems Pikmin three. It also has a Christmas level, which Nintendo doesn't do very much of holiday themes things. So yeah, but yeah. No, I'm just saying it's kind of nice that Nintendo like, oh, yeah. did a holiday themed thing. They don't usually do that. Um, I mean, if we're going if we're going down the road, Nintendo first party games too then I will have to nominate Custom Robo. I, I am uh, contractually obligated as a host of this podcast to mention Custom Robo whenever I can. Um, like I know I've said on the show before, but it deserves way more love than it got. Um, although actually, I guess for Switch, I it'd actually be better if they did the DS sequel or something new because the GameCube one was definitely bare bones. Like you had the battles, you battle in arenas as robots. It's kind of like real-time fighting game, robot on robot. And then you unlock new parts and go back and battle again, and that was it. But the DS sequel, um, they had a whole RPG angle to it. So yeah, you could equip different weapons and customize your robot in the GameCube one. But then there were like RPG stats and stuff stacked on in the DS one. And there's a whole story and an overworld to explore and this and the next thing. It really, like the D- DS one, uh, Custom Robo Arena, really took what worked from Custom Robo on GameCube but gave it the game, like the structure it needed around the core gameplay. So maybe they can super HDify that and bring that to Switch. Although I think in Custom Robo's case, it's actually going to be it's significantly less realistic to hope for a custom robo than a chibi robo or a piano three or a beautiful joe because um the man behind custom robo is no longer at the game's developer a company called noise he i remember reading recently he is making some other game i think it's called like synaptic drive or something and basically it's a it's for switch it involves robots it involves fighting robots it's a third person shooter you get to you know, it has kind of the same DNA of custom robot. You get to mix and match your robot, equip them, that sort of thing. A custom robo, if it's you will. A cu- yeah, it's a custom robo. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's not very far in development yet. They're still looking for a publisher or a business partner or something like that. Like they're, they showcased it at TGS, just like, hey, anyone want to invest in this, please? 
But uh, yeah, so I don't know. Unless Nintendo were to outsource a custom Robo reboot, remake, whatever for Switch, they're certainly not gonna have their guy that's now doing Synaptic Drive. But Synaptic Drive could be cool. We'll see. Assuming they get a partner, they they apparently want to position it like an esport. They want it to be as big as an esport or be perfect for esports. Which I guess yeah, I guess Custom Robo kind of was, but this is obviously not the same game. So I should probably stop comparing them directly. Anyway, I digress. Um, that's basically the direct in terms of games and beyond. But there is one other segment of the Direct that we need to discuss. And yes, I am, of course, talking about none other than the Switch Online service. We finally got our crash course in what Switch Online will include for those 20 bucks a year. And it is exactly what Nintendo previously said it would be. It really is that bare bones when it launches this Thursday, September 18th. It's like for those who somehow are unaware, there are five key components of Switch Online. They are online support for the majority of Switch games. The ability to back up your saves to the cloud for the majority of Switch games. Classic NES games with online play. A smartphone app for voice chatting, basically. And special offers for those who pay the membership fee. And I think what boggles my mind the most about this is how little it is compared not to PSN, not to Xbox Live, but to Nintendo's own other efforts. Like, look at the Wii U. You know we got on Wii U for not $20 a year, but free? We got game-specific communities with Miiverse. We got a messaging system. We got a voice chat app randomly. We got, or not voice, sorry, video chat app randomly. We had full voice chat support on the system, not on a separate thing. We had actual usernames, not friend codes. We even had, again, video chat. Like, I just need need to emphasize that multiple times because what? Why was there video chat? No one used that. And that was all free. On Switch, we get like a fourth of that for 20 bucks. Yeah, it's pretty disappointing. And maybe if I really cared about NES games this would feel like I'm getting my money's worth yeah. but I am so over NES games you, just... you don't want to own them for the 18th time exactly really? like I mean when they were first getting re-released on the Wii it was like oh this is pretty cool like I didn't yeah. really have these and then it's like alright on the on the 3DS alright that's, that's cool I mean we, we got a bunch of them with the ambassador program on the Wii U and then the Switch now again it's just uh, I, I'm just I'm kind of tired of just seeing NES games, and they don't even tease or hint at the fact that, like, oh, we'll have SNES or something else in the yeah, future. Yeah, like, SNES was supposedly there in the original announcement, like, years ago. No reference since. Yeah, it just they seems completely like, scrubbed it. It seems like that's just what it is, what yeah. it's going to be. And, I don't know, I mean, like, I would say, like, you get what you pay for, but it feels like we're yeah. getting gypped. You know what the weirdest thing about this is to Especially me? Especially because the voice chat is like, it doesn't make sense why, like, if I'm playing Pokemon Tournament and I want to, like, let's say, coordinate a PlayStation with Jason and Mario Kart and he's playing something else, it's like, oh, I can't talk to him because Pokemon Tournament doesn't support voice chat. Why can't you just have, if you're if you're on the app and you're playing your Switch, let that be enough to be like, oh, this friend is online playing their Switch. Do you want to talk to them? Just open up a chat room. It's like, no, you have to be in the specific game for some reason. Yeah, I don't get that. At this point, it's just I'm just gonna use Discord. Or something else. Or a phone. <laughs> or, yeah, or messenger <laughs> yeah, or anything. It's, it's weird because, like, yeah, to, to anything that point... Is weezy, anything is a much easier and more convenient. Like, yeah, I don't know why they don't have just a lobby for your online. I mean, the fact is, we waited a year and a half. Yeah, they took too long to roll this out. Now it just feels like I'm just... Yeah, like, we've said this many times before. We've been doing free online play for over a year and a half that it just became the norm. Like, we knew it was coming... But since they kept postponing it and postponing it and postponing it, now it just felt like 
it feels like I shouldn't have to pay, but I'm gonna have to because that's just how it's gonna be. Yeah, and, and but what I was gonna say is like, so they wait a year and a half, right? Like they wait too long, as you were saying, and then they're like, hey, we have voice chat now, and you know, ignoring the fact that it's still insists that Nintendo's still insisting the right solution for voice chat and matchmaking is this random app. Ignoring that, let's just say, fine, the app is a good idea. Okay, Nintendo, Look at the do app your can app. Improve. They why that, so. did it take... Yeah, that's true. But why did it take 18 months for them to add chaps for four games and nothing else? Literally, at launch, you can do Splatoon 2, which has been there, or Mario Kart, Mario Tennis, ARMS, and the NES Online games. That is literally it. It makes no sense. Like, at this stage, as you're saying, just get on the phone or Discord. And not only that... That but... literally chaps every single, like, indie game that's multiplayer-centric. Like, what right. about Rocket, well, Rocket League, League? Worms. Fortnite. Well, Fortnite has it built in. But that's Tread the thing. Up, Apparently, powerful. you can sidestep this and do it like Fortnite. I don't know. But then the other issue with the app, again, ignoring the fact that they're saying the app is the solution. Fine, Nintendo. That's the solution. But if that's the case, what exactly were they doing? Because the app is... Un- I downloaded the updated app. We'll obviously do a hands-on of Switch Online or porting it back next episode with actual impressions of service in action. But I downloaded the launch-ready update. All they did was add the word voice chat, and you press it, and it goes to voice chat. There's no game-specific things. Like, Splatnet 2 was kind of a cool idea. It's like, oh, if every game has this, or all the major releases have this, I kind of get why they have an app. It's a central hub. Okay, great. Why does Mario Kart 8 not have MKTV back in action, but in the app? Why does, you know, ARMS or Mario tennis aces why do they not list upcoming events in the game in a special page in the app you know like arms has the party crash every two weeks or something like that where you pit two characters against each other why is there not a schedule that for me to see why does aces not show me hey if i play aces this month i will unlock diddy or birdo or whoever it is like by the way birdo and tomorrow tennis nice move pd yeah yeah but like why why did it take them 18 months for them to not do any of these things and then be like oh yeah the thing from before you're paying 20 bucks that's exactly what you did before like Presumably, it kept getting delayed because they were setting up all this stuff. But then there's nothing there. It just, it, I don't get it. I mean, the, I, don't even get me started on cloud saves actually, because that's another thing I really don't understand at all. I'm gonna get started on cloud saves. <laughs> I said, don't get me started. But so, right now in in China, Nintendo has a partnership with Nvidia. I'm, this will make sense in a sec, but it has a partnership with Nvidia. The Nvidia Shield in China offers Wii and GameCube games you can download, and all of them. All of them offer free cloud backups. They built in cloud saving to ports of Nintendo games and other systems, and it's free. And they couldn't do it for their own games on their own system. And here's the crazy thing. Here's the real kicker. Barely anyone's even getting these games. In China, Mario Galaxy is the top downloaded game on the NVIDIA Shield, and it's been downloaded 6,146 times total. New Super Mario Bros. Wii, 5,257 times. Twilight Princess, 3,000 times. Punch-Out! 1,400 times, almost 1,500 times. Wow. And yet they all have cloud saves. If Nintendo's running, if Nintendo is comfortable running like a full cloud server at full cost for this very small number of people that are downloading these games, I just don't see why they have suddenly the inability to do it for an actual audience with scale. Because here's the thing. When you do it at scale, the prices come down over time. So they're like, yeah, we'll, we're cool running these few servers for these few games, but oh, we don't want to do it when there's a lot more. Like, that just, it's, it's weird. I don't know. Like, I get on some level, it's, oh, well, there's a point where it across the price you don't want to pay. But it's just, I don't know. The whole thing just seems like if you can do it for these couple thousand people, why can't you do it for your flagship platform? And honestly, the whole the whole cloud state backup setup is perhaps, like, the most questionable part of this whole thing, really. Because if you're going to do it and charge for it, do it right. 
And unfortunately, all signs point to Nintendo not doing that. For example, it turns out that games can just opt right out of supporting cloud saves. Like we kind of talked about, will Animal Crossing support cloud saves? And the fact that we even have to ask that question is weird. Because right now, it turns out that NBA 2K19, Pokemon Let's Go, Dark Souls Remastered, Dead Cells, and Splatoon 2 of all games will not support cloud saving whatsoever. So if you want to have your game data protected, you either need to manually put it on SD card or just tough, hope nothing happens to your Switch. And the reason this is being done is because, and I quote, this is from Nintendo, in certain games, this feature would make it possible to, for example, regain items that have been traded that have been yeah that have been traded to other players, or revert to a higher online multiplayer ranking that has been lost. To ensure fair play, save data cloud backup may not be enabled for such games. To ensure that save data cloud backups cannot be used to unfairly affect online rankings, these features will not be enabled in Splatoon 2. Wow. So no other company on the planet has this problem. In fact, most companies offer cloud saves for free, and if they don't offer them for free, they store them on their server for a few months in case your subscription accidentally lapses. Nintendo apparently can't even guarantee they won't get deleted when your subscription ends. Like, it's it's weird. Like, Pokemon has you save before and after any trade already. That's a feature in the base game. So that argument goes out the window for the cloud saves. Splatoon 2 should be storing ranking info on the server side. I mean, you could pull it down in Splatnet 2 in the app that Nintendo's promoting and see your ranking. So then why, how, why is there an issue with people manipulating the score on a cloud save if it's server side, unless it's not, in which case that's a whole nother question of why they do it wrong. Like, it's just, yeah, it's, I don't know. It seems weird that you can lose your entire progress in Splatoon 2 in Pokemon, in whatever, in hypothetically Animal Crossing, because they didn't want to engineer a solution that other companies already have in place for free like we have paid 20 bucks for them to not bother to come up with a thing that other people are already doing without you requiring you know without you having to pay it, it, it's just silly i don't know it's just silly and what, what makes it even more silly is that like nintendo clearly understands cloud technology at some deeper level because a growing trend in japan among third-party games is cloud-based versions of games too powerful for the switch which Nintendo obviously has to support on some level so they clearly understand how to do the back and forth with the cloud like Resident Evil 7, that's on Switch, cloud streaming. Final Fantasy, uh, or not Final Fantasy, sorry, Fantasy Star Online 2, also a cloud streaming game in Japan. It was just announced in the Japanese Direct that Ubisoft is bringing Assassin's Creed Odyssey to Switch in October all through the cloud. Pretty cool. Right? Yeah, it's actually really cool. So, like, to the average Joe consumer, what they're being told is the Switch can literally beam your game inputs back and forth from a server in real time to play crazy advanced games like those. Yet it can't back up Pokemon because you may have traded your Porygon away and you're just going to spoof it right back into existence. Like, I don't... It's crazy to me. Like, I don't... I don't know. It's... it's. I Granted, this is a very minute thing in a bigger picture here. Like, oh, darn, Cloud saves. That's a thing we didn't even have two generations ago. But now it's becoming more standard. Xbox has it. PlayStation has it. Your phone has it. Your computer has it. So it just seems weird that Nintendo's sort of putting themselves in this bucket. And of course, you have the voice app, voice chat app issues that you're already describing. So it all just stacks. I mean, there are there are a few in my mind like saving graces of online. I think actually even even the app has a saving grace. Like I think where Nintendo's maybe coming from with the whole voice chat thing, where you have to use the app, is they want to support backseat players. Now I didn't consider this until in the direct they made a reference to. They showed Luigi in the background. It looked like he was explaining how he died. Actually, he was making like the motion that the guy made when he killed him in the Smash track. But anyway, they're saying, you know, uh, you can backseat players participate. And that's true. Because, like, 
Nintendo's multiplayer is always considered best when local, as we were discussing before, and using a phone that's in speaker mode can let you keep those who aren't playing involved in what's going on more directly. It's it's something a headset can't do. So I kind of see where they're coming from, and it's kind of the same mindset of why they made the Wii Speak be a, you know, um, the original voice chat solution they ever came out with on Wii. The Wii Speak was a speaker you put under your TV, and the sound was piped through your TV, and it could pick up a whole room's worth of noise. Because again, they wanted to kind of replicate the idea of local multiplayer, but through the internet. Which also, to your point earlier, shows Nintendo never gives up an idea. They always recycle ideas, etc. But it is not enough to justify not offering any sort of on-device voice chat solution. Like this, this it, it helps explain the rationale. But they could do both. They could offer both, and yet they don't. So it's it's still bizarre. But yeah, the same graces. I think that's why where they're coming from. With that and also, I know you were saying you don't really care about the NES lineup. I don't know. I think what they're doing with the NES lineup and also with special offers is significantly more interesting than I anticipated it being. I thought I'd be whatever about both, but the NES lineup is like actually pretty good, actually surprisingly varied, and there's no, games yeah, the, there you wouldn't expect. No, the service itself is fine. Like yes, okay. everything about it is great. It's just the fact that it's NES. Right. Yeah. But like even then, like some of the games they're choosing are like, oh, this is like I thought they go. I honestly thought they were gonna go total bare bones here. I thought we were at first party games only, the usual standbys they've released a million times over, you know, Ice Climber, Balloon Trip, and those are there for the umpteenth time. But then, to my surprise, they're including the likes of Double Dragon, River City Ransom, Fire Pro Wrestling, Tecmo Bowl, Yoshi, Ghosts and Goblins, yeah. It's all, minus Ghosts and Goblins, all of these are multiplayer first, atypical choices that really kind of drive home this, like, playing online angle. Like, Nintendo's actually sort of catering them to what the service does, as opposed to just pumping out their biggest hits, which is kind of nice to see. And they're going to go on to... They're only doing, I think, uh, like three games a month, so we got the Virtual Console drip feed coming back. But they are including games like My Bomb Jack and Super Dodgeball and NES Open, which also, you know, again, are more multiplayer-centric. So, it... Yeah, it seems like in that way, they're sort of doing it right, as weird as that sounds. Just maybe more frequent would be nice. And then separately, there's also that whole special offer thing, which I expected to just be discount codes of eShop games. But instead, they're actually making it about exclusive stuff for paying members. I mean, there's free gear in Splatoon 2 at launch. And then in December, Nintendo's doing a physical item, a Switch Online member-exclusive physical item in the form of those Joy-Con NES controllers they showed off in the Direct. Now, there's a good amount of questionable moves about the controllers themselves. They're totally wireless, which is cool, but that means the only way to charge them is to literally slide them into your side, into the um, sides of your Switch which makes it look extra ridiculous. They're also $60, which is kind of ridiculous. Like, they they don't have motion controls. They don't have HD rumble. They don't have any of the stuff that justifies the Joy-Con price. So why are they so close to the real Joy-Con price? It's weird. But, um, yeah, especially actually since now I think about it, they don't even support any other games except the NES library. You literally can't use them with anything but the games that you're paying for as part of online. So that's kind of another reason. It's like, well, why are they 60 but perhaps most significantly, the weird thing they're doing with them is you can only buy one pair of controllers that come in a two-pack per Switch Online subscription. So for Nintendo, wow. yes. So for Nintendo, this obviously has a few advantages. It discourages people from making family accounts unless they're actually family. And it gives a pretty decent value add to the online package as a whole. You get these exclusive things. Plus, it avoids scalpers because you have to basically prove your worth to get them. But on the flip side, it sure does suck for people who legitimately have multiple switches in their home and want multiple sets of controllers. Like we, I mean, even in our case, it's Nintendo's goal. They're trying to discourage us. But like we were considering at one point a family plan. That means only one of 
the group in our family plan would be able to get these controllers for themselves. Maybe the others don't want it, but we don't have the choice of deciding that if we go the family plan route. So, yeah. I mean, really, it's just this whole wishy-washiness that I'm describing with the controllers and with everything. It just... To me, that's what Switch Online is right now. It's just really wishy-washy. Like, it just isn't all that compelling of an offer on its own. So, like you were saying, it feels kind of like you're getting ripped off. But if I want to play online, I'm, of course, getting it. And then the NES library, it's like, well, okay, that's an online pass the controller mode. That's kind of cool. And I do want to spend some time just messing with that. And the game choices are not the ones we get ad nauseum. There are some unique ones in there. So, okay, that's kind of neat. And, like, special offers, okay, there's some neat stuff in there. But then you've got, like, the stuff that actually matters. You know, the voice chat, the app features, the messaging or lack thereof. There's literally no way to message people. And all that under-delivers big time. I, I can't believe they don't even have push notifications to tell people to join you in a lobby in a game. Not the very least. Yeah, like, it just makes what could have been such a slam dunk for Nintendo and they spent so much time building feel much more just blah. So we'll see. I mean, we, of course, are going to put this thing through its paces. It comes out Thursday. We'll play it. We'll have impressions next episode. Are you going to get the NES controllers? Yeah. I'm a sucker. Wow. Yeah, they're just, they're like a collectible, basically, in my mind. Wow. Mm-hmm. I I mean, to anyone else that gets them, like, that's awesome. But you, because you it's get to you, Yeah, but because it's you, I... I just I, I lost so dude, much respect did, for did you, you right now. Did you, really? Did you see the box though? Did you see that nice it photo? It looks horrible. It looks like something that you would get like at a like a knockoff Chinese store. Yeah, but they pose it so well next to a cup of coffee on the website. I'm like, I don't drink coffee, but I do want those controllers. I don't know. It just seems like I was I was a sucker for when they had like cool my Nintendo exclu- or Nintendo whatever they call it, not my Nintendo. Well, whatever keeps the Nintendo fan. Well, I mean, we'll see. I might not actually buy it, but the thought has crossed my mind and it was a positive one. It was an affirmative one. So, we'll see. Yeah, I don't own a prone controller but I will own these NES controllers I'll never use. Yeah, that makes total <laughs> sense. I know. Um, but yeah, so we'll have, we'll have impressions next episode of you know, how voice chat feels, what the NES games are like online, all that. So tune in for that. But before that, we've got one more order of business to get to in this episode and that's what we've been playing. Because yes, even with all these huge Nintendo announcements and things to chew them out about there's still games to be played we've been playing things indie things in fact so Angel I don't know I've been talking a lot for the last couple of minutes would you like to go first you've been playing Lifeless Planet yeah but there actually isn't much to say about it well um, that'll give me a couple seconds breather instead of a couple minutes that's fine <laughs> it's, a, it's interesting um, the game is really old from what I've gathered it's been out for a long time in other consoles it does look like a Dreamcast game I'm just saying yeah but I don't know. I don't know what got me to start playing. I think it was just the. Um, it just looked interesting. Like it just like caught my eye. But and to be fair, they sent you a code. Well, well yeah, that's it. But <laughs> yeah. no, but it, it had commented before that. Too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like it just looked. Um, I don't know. I just kind of liked the the atmosphere of it. But then I once I started playing it, I realized it was like. I guess there's like a term for it. It's, it's usually referred to as like a walking simulator. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the trend with like a lot of, 3D open world like indie games like there is usually usually the only thing you can really do is just walk around and jump if it's a platformer if it's a first person game you just walk around and just get text from objects and for the most and for the most part there is very little little to no other characters like you're just kind of like walking through environment to environment right picking up bits world and pieces building of, in the most literal yeah. sense yeah just picking up bits and pieces of the story and Presumably, like that was, that should, that's what's driving you to keep going forward. And 
like looking for this one, um, I actually thought they did a really good job of like making the world look very barren and open, but still making it feel like you're making progress. Like it's kind of weird to describe. It's kind of how, like I just like how everything is just going from. Kind of reminds me of God of War. It's like one shot camera, mm-hmm. where there's like or no cut camera where everything is there's like zero cuts in that game, which is amazing and a very crazy feat that they even managed to accomplish. God of War. Or God of War. War. Okay, yeah. But this one kind of does something similar where you're just you have a starting point and you're just going basically not always in a straight line, but you're just following a path, a path that is not 100% clear. You kind of um, I intentionally went backwards and tried to find the barriers, and there are some, but they're pretty far out that you might not even really see them. But... Like that Boundary Breaker YouTube channel, except you don't actually break boundaries. You just find them. Yeah. But... That was my deep analysis of your comment. Sorry. <laughs> but the nice thing is that because it's such a barren game in the beginning, you're, you pretty much start off like in the desert, and you're just like, where do I go? It looks like the landscape stretches off infinitely in every direction. Uh-huh. They have like what might seem like a little weird groove in the distance, like on the, like there's like a little hill and that's like the only place you see a hill and you're like, all right, I'm just going to walk in that direction. It's cause that looks interesting. So you walk to that hill and then you see like a little glimmer off in the distance. All right, I guess I'll go there. Then you see like another weird formation. You go there. And before you know it, you've gone from like a desert to like a valley to like a abandoned facility to like a creepy looking forest to another weird looking like factory looking place mm-hmm. like it's like i just like how everything's transitions and occasionally you do run into i guess enemies but can you the, fight them no like you, you just have to avoid them yeah the only thing you can do in this game is just double jump and sometimes quadruple six double jump but that's only reserved for like very specific areas mm. and Eventually, you get like the ability to grab, like, to use this claw to grab these orbs to put them in a place where you can power up other things. But so, like, gameplay wise, like, it's mainly minimal. It's mainly more about like the story. There's like a ton of like expositional text. Like, you see like a little glowing thing on the ground, you walk up to it, and then you get some information about the surrounding area. There's like also kind of like Metroid Prime where it's like if you choose to explore you'll be rewarded with a deeper backstory yeah there's like logbooks there's right. things you can yeah there's things like there's side stuff that actually there's side stuff you can collect like oh you found one of three special stones but I ended up finding like all the special stones and that kind of stuff just without really trying to find them it's just that typically in these kinds of games I'll try to go just to just to make sure I'm not forgetting anything like I'll if I feel this is the right way I'll just go the other way and then usually I'll find the stuff there or sometimes it ends up being the right way and then I have to backtrack again. Right. Um, I don't know. It, it's a weird game to recommend just because some people might find it really boring. But some maybe like all have no, it. Like there's nothing going on, but other people might just find it interesting. It's actually very, it's pretty chill. I mean, that's, that's kind of like what just kind of kept me going. Like I am not the biggest fan of these quote-unquote walking simulators where not much is going on. You're just kind of getting the story told to you as you progress through the game. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know, I just kept going and going. How did you sunk, like, a large amount of time into this, like, significantly large? You told me some crazy number. I don't remember what it was. Oh, it probably wasn't that great. But it was Uh, definitely way more than... Than you anticipated. Yeah, way, like, many, many, many more hours than I thought I would. Mm. And, like, there was, like, some... There were a few platforming segments that, like, you may die a few times if you just mistime your jump. But Mm -hmm. I never found them to be so difficult that... Like, difficult enough to say that there is a difficulty curve. 
Like, I mean, if you die or run into like a plant creature that kills you in one hit, that's because you just ran into it and then you're just never going to run into it again. Right, right. So it's more about the journey. Yeah, it's definitely about the journey. And there's kind of a mystery there. And I mean, if you choose to follow it, then it's there. And presumably you would, since that's literally the meat of the game. Yeah, that that's really all. Yeah. That, that is the main part of the game. So the only thing I will say that some areas, like this game really likes to get really, really dark. And I mean, literally, like as in no light. <laughs> and uh-huh. all, and in many cases, all you'll have is your flashlight, and you can only really see like maybe twenty, thirty feet in front of you, and that gets really like you get get lost really easily, and you might not even know where to go next just because mm-hmm. it's hard mm-hmm. with the darkness. But they do have a a setting where you can just like make the dark rooms brighter. So I've done that a few times just because it's just so dark, and I forget like all right, was I here already? And then I turn on the light, basically. It's like turning the light on in a room, like mm-hmm. a like a dimmer, and then I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to go there, and then I just turn it back off, and then I just make my way there, and it's like, all right, easy peasy. So, so you're saying the game, big steps is punchline here. So, you're saying the game should have been called Imperfect Dark. That's a lot of silence. I followed that one. I hope someone chortled somewhere in the world when I said that. But <laughs> you're just not being acknowledged. Yeah. I was proud of that one. I'm so, sad. so I mean, the game definitely feels like dated. Like, I mean, as you like can attest to, like you thought that like, you played it for like yeah, I played a it little bit. bit. Yeah, and it is very chill. That's a good way. To yeah, say it. it's chill, chill AF. <laughs> it yeah. is very relaxing. It's definitely not for everyone, but I mean, if you're just looking for a game to just like, just kind of sit back and just like wander around, and just taking a story without there isn't really any sense of urgency. I guess that's basically it. Right. So yeah, it's a nice game to just. Chill down. With, Can we, you know? by the way, edit in a laugh track to my imperfect dark joke? That silence was bad. No, we we need to add. We need, the, a, we need a, like linger in its worst. We, we need a, instead of a laugh track, we would need to add like that dead silence and then like a. <coughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, I'll take that. I'll take that. Well, now we can't because we already discussed that. Yeah, but, but that's lifeless. Plant. So that's lifeless plant. Yeah, sounds like an interesting experience. It's not something you typically get on Nintendo system, which is kind of. Yeah, it's definitely. Yeah. Probably not what I would have said on Switch. So, so the game I've sunk the most time into lately is um, Salt and Sanctuary, which has been out for a year or two on other systems, but is now on Switch. And uh, up front, I should mention this was thanks to a courtesy download code from the publisher. But I, wa- I was kind of eyeing this because like, the simplest and most unimaginative way of describing this game is that it's 2D Dark Souls. And to preface this, I actually have not played much of the real Dark Souls myself, but I did watch a friend who attempt to get through it uh, a, like a, a couple of years ago I guess and it seemed, I was like oh that's cool I, I'd check something like that on Nintendo system obviously we're not getting Dark Souls Remastered but in the interim Salt and Sanctuary kind of popped up and I was like oh this is like that but it's also 2D and different so let me see what that's all about and uh, just you know in, in a nutshell it does follow a lot of the same mechanics you're forging your way through in this time a 2D side-scrolling world you're collecting salt from each enemy you kill if you die, your entire stockpile of salt remains at that spot, but you're transported back to a designated checkpoint, more often than not in one of these so-called sanctuaries, which could be pretty far back from where you just died, and then you need to go back to that spot, reclaim your salt and the progress you lost, and then continue forward. And to be super clear, you are going to die, and you are going to die a lot. One big part of Salt and Sanctuary is its difficulty, and you soon realize that dying, respawning, slowly inching toward where you were it's all part of the ebb and flow of the game it's what the game kind of is 
but there is something pretty satisfying about it in a way that's reminiscent of like older like NES games, like those super hard, tough as nails NES games. Like sure, it can get frustrating, but you start to learn the placement of each enemy, the pattern of how they jump out at you or what their attacks are, and then you slowly, time and time again, get better and better until you conquer the ca- conquer the castle or the area or wherever you are. And it also helps that each time you play um, or replay an area, you're essentially doubling the salt you lost because you're going through all those enemies again. So not only are you getting the salt you lost, but you get to literally keep adding to it. And salt is significant because it powers all the deeper RPG elements of the game, which there are a lot of. Whether you want weapons, armor, magic, other items, like these all total in the upper hundreds of options, and they all require salt, or at least a lot of them require objects that you can get with salt. And um, one such object is the pearl, which is what you use to enhance or gain new skills very uh, via a very, very elaborate skill tree. There are, I think, eight different character classes when you first start the game, and each one puts you in a different part of the tree initially, but you can then customize essentially however you want, based on whatever you want, just by going through the path of the skill tree. And it, you know, the building that up, getting weapons, all that, they're all interconnected, everything's relying on everything else. If you want to build a certain weapon or have certain powered up items, you may need certain skills or you need certain items that you can only get out in the world that then can trigger the ability to get a skill, etc. Et like it's all interconnected and it's a very deep system with a lot of variability. Um, and it can, honestly, it sounds overwhelming, I'm sure. It can be overwhelming at times due to the sheer depth of what it offers. But what's nice is it pairs really well with the main gameplay because the main gameplay is, like, even with the crazy skill tree and whatnot, the gameplay is pretty straightforward. You are exploring, you are fighting, you are exploring some more, you are fighting some more. And combat is nice and nice, quick and simple, but it's not just button mashing. So you've got to use timing based on what the enemy does. You have to count for your own things, dodging, rolling. The different weapons all have their own timings. Uh, different button combos will generate different attacks. So you're not just sitting there, you know, falling into a pattern of always hammering like why, 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 or whatever. You actually will do different things. In a way, it all kind of feels like why I imagine Castlevania would have felt like if it was first created in the year 2018. Like it's kind of like it. It's definitely a game of the modern time, but it harkens back in a lot of ways to kind of older NES games like I was saying before, which is kind of like a cool combo. And sort of along those lines, it also does a really great job of bringing intention and atmosphere in a way that an NES game couldn't. Um, you'd think, you know, like for a 2D hand-drawn game, that'd be kind of hard to do, but the developers, they, they pull it off well. Like what they managed to do is, um, the whole game is kind of this like Octopath Traveler look to it. So the characters are 2D, but the world's a little more elaborate. There's effects like fog, and there's cool lighting effects on walls and puddles. And there's little touches like crows flying off as you approach them. Just so we're clear, I am always a sucker for a good bird flying away from you moment in a video game. Mario Odyssey is perhaps the pinnacle of this, but there's some good ones. There are some good ones in Salt and Sanctuary. Um, and yeah, but that's you know that's then paired with a lot of use of shadowy areas, some solid sound design. There is a lot of darkness, kind of like you were saying with Lifeless Planet. This has that too, but there's no on switch for the light or anything. Um, but then if you combine that with, you know, Emmy springing up out of nowhere to startle you, the constant fear that you're going to pretty much die any time because the game's hard, you kind of can get a sense of how the tension can actually be pretty good in, a, in this game, even though it is like a 2D side-scrolling game. Uh, plus, on top of that, the game actually borrows a cool concept from Zombie U. There's no real pause menu. You can open a nearly full-screen overlay to do advanced IO management. There's also a quick IO management with just the D-pad, but you can or the left Joy-Con face buttons. But you can, uh, you can open a full-screen overlay, but the world around you will carry on. Enemies may still come at you. They may still attack you. So you need to act quickly as you're trying to set up whatever items. And that too just adds this kind of 
underlying tension in the game, which is, again, something I thought was really cool about it. Um, the one issue I've had with the game is that if you're playing in handheld mode, everything is kind of small. The font in the dialogue boxes is small, the menus are small, the individual enemies are small, and since the game is mostly brown and gray, and enemies are mostly gray and brown, uh, that can sometimes hinder you a bit. But in a grand, in like the grand scheme of things, it's a pretty small gripe. The developers, um, in every as- other aspect of the game, did a solid job with the Switch version. I think like it runs really smooth. It's really, uh, it looks really nice on TV and in handheld. It's just a little hard to see in handheld. So basically, if you're the type of person who likes to die a lot and you enjoy deeper RPG experiences um, and character building specifically. I definitely recommend Solid Sanctuary. It's very good at those things. And if you do not fit that bill, um, it may still be a very good game worth your time because it's just an all-around, very well-made game. It is a good game that takes ideas from other games and kind of puts them together in its own unique way. And given how much depth it has, um, it's 18 bucks on the eShop. I think that's a totally reasonable price for what it is. Like it's There's a lot to it. So yeah, I, I would recommend checking it out if it sounds your, like your cup of tea. It's not just another typical side-scoring platformer by any means, which is very nice, and it does some cool stuff. So that is Salt and Sanctuary in a nutshell. Um, thank you. Thank you. In a weirdly fitting contrast to Salt and Sanctuary, the other game I've been playing lately is also about undead enemies, but it is significantly more colorful. It is significantly lighter fare, and it is called iZombie. And to be honest, it's a game you probably haven't heard of before. You probably hear iZombie and think CW show that may or may not exist anymore. But I, I know I personally didn't know about the game, but the developers reached out to us um, about trying it out. We like to highlight the little guys whenever possible. So I was like, yeah, sure, we'll check it out. We'll you know cover it on the podcast. Why not? And it turns out it's actually a surprisingly clever take on a typical single-screen mobile puzzle game. Basically, you're tasked with figuring out the best way to, in- to infect every human on each level single screen. And it's presented kind of as like isometric-ish top-down view. Uh, every level has a different configuration of obstacles. There are humans with guns that can kill you if you don't infect them fast enough. There are humans without guns that you need to go and infect right away. And you initially just control one zombie. It is, after all, called I zombie. so there's only one. And then um, as your horde grows, as you infect more people, you have the ability to have all of them follow you, to stop in their tracks, or to auto-attack other humans each at just a single button press command. So it's very quick to send your legions out to do things, but they all move as kind of one pack. And where the game gets interesting is that you need to account for things like which way to approach the humans from because they're going to flee the other way. You're a zombie. They're going to run away. And that sometimes means they're going to run right into the sight of the humans with guns, which would then make it impossible for you to beat the level and by infecting everyone because the humans with guns are going to shoot the zombies as soon as they see them. And that's the one way you lose the level is if you get shot as a zombie and die. So uh, part of the challenge is just getting everyone to be infected without getting shot. And the real challenge is to infect the guys with the guns because they come very close to killing you in the time it takes you to zombify them. So you have to really time everything just right. And luckily you regenerate health. So between each individual human as you go through a single screen's level, um, you do have kind of breathers to regenerate. And that plus getting the timing right in the first place of when to approach the humans so they have minimal number of shots to hit you before you zombify them that makes this game overall much more a game of patience than you'd expect like it sounds kind of like oh it's fast you just go infect everyone and try and do it as quick as you can get a high score move on but you can't just run and zombify 
you have to almost treat it like a stealth game and really kind of hide behind corners and wait for the moment and wait for humans not facing you and then go in real quick and hope they don't shoot you and it, it's a lot more intricate than it seems now there's only 30 levels in the main game but the developers did include a few a few uh, replayability boosters that kind of help branch out beyond just the 30. Uh, the most basic one is that each level has a star rating, so you can try and earn three stars by completing the objective, uh, you know, in the best time and way possible. But more interesting than that are the online components. There's a leaderboard, and more significantly, and surprisingly actually, there's a full level editor. So you can share these levels in game. Uh, with other players you can download other people's games onto yours there's a whole like way to browse levels by popularity and whatnot uh it obviously greatly expands the amount of content you have available and that is essentially the whole game it's simple idea it's pretty well executed if not a little repetitive by the end but uh you know for a game made by i checked the credits four people made this game and you could tell production wise it's a little lower budget as an indie game um but it has a level editor. It, that's impressive for a game made by four people, I feel like. And it's only five bucks. So you get 30 pre-made levels. You get hundreds of other levels from other people, all at $5. It feels like at that price, if you want a kind of different take on a puzzle game, I'd say iZombie's worth a look. It's not the best game you're ever going to play. It's not the worst game you're ever going to play. But it's pretty good at what it does. And it's a weird little niche of a unique take on kind of the single-screen puzzle mobile-style game. So yeah, I would I would say it's worth it if you have five bucks to throw around. At least watch a trailer. But with that, um, we pretty much reached the end of the episode. What? We managed to take a 38-minute direct and turn it into like an hour and a half plus game impressions after. That's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, but we'll be back in two weeks' time on September 30th with our hands-on of uh, Switch Online, as I mentioned. Plus, of course, all the latest news and who knows what else. Um, are there any parting words you have for the listeners before I do our usual fi- follows? Have a great Sunday. Have a great Sunday, everyone. Or whatever day you just happen to listen to this. That's really thoughtful of you. And you know what can make that day even better for them? Or worse, honestly, is they can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm JSR7. He's Wero, W-E-I-R underscore O. You can also subscribe to our podcast everywhere you can think of to make sure you don't miss our next episode. That means Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, you name it, it's there. Uh, YouTube as well. We have, again, we have a live stream video of us. It's only four minutes long, but it happened at RandomNintendo.com on YouTube. So yeah, that does it. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Um, I hope, in addition to having a great day, that Switch Online, you find something to love in it. Because you're paying 20 bucks whether you want to or not. Sorry.